0: Back again this week with an interview and some news to discuss. You'll want to listen in for everything that we have in store for you today here on the Report podcast. Back again for episode 62, according to my notes. We got a good interview this week. We got... A couple of minor news stories to discuss, and this week we're actually going to get to the Indie Ball Top 10 that's been promised for the last half month. And I'm going to address all the Quebec and St. Paul fans that are flaming me for leaving them off. I suppose we should just jump into the interview, because I've noticed some people, they like to like push the interview deeper into the podcast, presumably to try and get people to listen longer, but I'm not about that here. I think we... We need to put the interview up front because that's what people came for. And you got to give the people what they want. That's right. So before that, as always, we'll kind of just preface the interview. I think in interviewing Billy Horn, who is our interview subject this week, the, the first off, the thing that I take away right off the bat is he's just such a nice guy. Like he really, really is a genuinely nice guy. He genuinely cares about his players. He genuinely cares about baseball he's a guy that lives and breathes baseball and wants to do as much as he can with it also i take away from it that he's just a really interesting guy he makes a lot of interesting points he's done a lot in the game from playing to coaching to meet a prospect which that we discuss in the interview Uh, there's all there's an awful lot to it so that that was at least my major takeaway he's a really straightforward guy. He's a really genuine guy. He's a nice guy, and he has a lot of experience, and I could easily see him kind of climbing up the ranks of baseball as time goes along.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was really great interview. He really uh, understands the kind of inner workings of independent league baseball, and one thing that I thought was really interesting was kind of towards the end of the interview, he's breaking down how different, uh, you know, players should go about trying to get onto certain teams so if you have really good statistics that are the traditional statistics your batting average uh your era things like that you know that you're going to want to go to indie ball teams and then if you're you know more of the advanced analytics you're you're going to want to look more for those uh, minor league affiliates because they care about those type of you know uh, advanced statistics more so than the in the ball teams that are looking for a guy who could help them win and win now so it, I thought that was interesting uh, I thought everything that he talked about in terms of kind of his journey was interesting uh, meeting Ricky Henderson that was a cool story um, so yeah just a really uh, interesting guy and I think it's certainly uh, a really really good interview and he did definitely seem like a genuine and, and nice guy
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of interesting things he mentions there. And like you said, the whole how he scouts players, what what guys in indie ball look for. I thought that was very interesting. And also, I think he really does grasp the importance of indie ball, both to the player, to the community, really what indie ball is about. That's the main thing that I took away from it. But I'm sure we'll talk about all that and much more after the interview plays, which We might as well just jump right into that. So here is our interview with current High Point Rockers Director of Player Procurement and bench coach and the founder of Meta Prospect, Billy Horn. All right, we are back now and we have another interview this week. We have the founder of Meta Prospect and longtime indie ball coach, current bench coach and head of player procurement for the High Point Rockers of the Atlantic League. Billy Horn now joins the show. How's it going today?
2: Hey, it's going pretty good, my man. Thank you so much for uh, for having me on.
0: Oh, it's our pleasure. I I always love when we get coaches and guys that are working kind of both sides of the of the field, the on the play aspect and off the field con- roster construction aspect. So whenever we can get a guy like you on, uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Appreciate that. Yep, I'm just kind of thinking of how we're going to go about this because in the prep work for this interview, I. You just have such a long and impressive resume. I figured just kind of breaking it up into parts was the best way of doing it. So I wanted to start with probably what's more relevant to a lot of the listeners, which is your experience in independent league baseball. Yeah, absolutely. Which, if if I'm right, it starts as a player playing a little bit overseas in Italy and then coming back and playing in the Golden Baseball League out in California. So I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about how it was like to play in Italy and then coming back to play... Uh, will would be basically West Coast Indie Ball at the same time that, and do correct me if I'm wrong, but Ricky Henderson was in the league at the same time.
2: Oh, yeah. Yep. Got a chance to play against Ricky, and that was pretty cool because, like, growing up in the Bronx as a Yankee fan, Ricky was, like, one of my top two favorite players, him and Don yeah. Mattingly. And uh I remember I didn't get a chance to pitch against him, but I remember I was hitting fungos, yeah. and he walked right by me. And I was just like, Ricky, I hate to do this, but... I'm a fan, man. I grew up in a... He's like, man, that's cool. Ricky thinks that's cool. You know, because Ricky Henderson always talks in the third person. And what a good guy, man. What a really good guy. And to watch him, I think he was 44 or 45 years old at the time, still stealing bases like he was 20 years old, man. It was just incredible. So it was pretty, pretty cool experience.
0: Yeah, no, I remember him playing in Nork for a little bit there with a, with a bunch of other guys. Because, I mean, being a Met fan, I, I do remember him playing a little bit, but I was really young when he was still a Met so and it's really cool to see you know these kind of legends of the game playing at an indie ball level <laughs> yeah so then then what was it like just playing over in Italy for that little bit of time not directly independently baseball but still comparable
2: it, it was crazy man I mean I you know when I graduated from Lynn in 01 You know, I was nobody special, 84, 85, 86, you know, just a a below average right-handed pitcher. And, um, you know, obviously I didn't get drafted. So I, I actually took a sales job and I did really well. I took an outside sales job and, and, and I made pretty good money. And on the weekends I was like pitching like in a men's league just for fun. And I just noticed that I'd get, I'd gotten stronger and better and, more depth and bite of my breaking ball my changeup was better my stamina was better and a buddy of mine at the time had played professional football over in italy so i wound up finding out there's professional baseball out there and it's a really it was a really good league i mean you had former major league players over there and stuff it was so crazy like i had to send out like video and then i had to work on my paperwork and then i had gotten the contract so i uh, i played over there as an italian citizen Uh, After a while And you know it was kind of cool Like we play Friday, doubleheader, Saturday So I would pitch Saturday nights And then we were off Sunday, Monday And then we would practice Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at night So we had all this time To just go to the beach You know we would go out at night You know we would just hang out And and, and just have a good time And it it was literally living the life I mean I was making better money Than uh, most independent guys you know, do here in the States, and this was 15 years ago, and it was all cash, and, you know, 25, 26 years old, uh, it was great, and the competition was very good, because you had your mix of players from Australia, and Japan, and Taiwan, and wherever else, and there's also very good local talent in uh, in Italy, and it's only gotten better, so I, I really enjoyed my two years, I had a chance to play in the Olympics, I had gotten hurt, um, and then I, I came back, and, and played in the Golden League in 05. And unfortunately, I tore my rotator cuff and I was, you know, pretty much done for, um, you know, professionally at, at that time, but it was so much fun, man. I made, I made so many friends over there. We would go to the beach like almost every day and it was just such a different culture. The people were super nice and the food was, of course, outstanding and the women were beautiful. So it, it was, it was definitely worth it. Re- really enjoyed my time
0: there. Yeah, I think a lot of players don't realize that outside of the U.S. and South America and Asia, there are still a lot of very competitive baseball leagues out there. You just have to be willing to well travel first off, and then secondly, just kind of be open to thinking outside the box. That there yeah. are there are other leagues out there that are like you say very talented, a lot of guys playing them that are of higher quality talent than you may be playing in a better known league stateside.
2: Yeah, I I mean, me, like, I knew I had no shot at making it to the big leagues. You know, and at that time, I was, like, 90, 91, 92, with a pretty good hook. I was 25, 26 years old. I I knew I had no shot unless I was throwing a 100 miles an hour, and I knew that, one, that would never happen, and, two, I just I just wasn't that good. You know, I was good enough to play and good enough to get guys out, major league guys and stuff, but not at that consistency level that you look for. You know, now, looking back, as a uh as a manager as a bench coach whatever i don't know if i would assign me i had decent numbers and stuff but i don't know i, I might have given myself a shot it, you know i you tend to think about that from time to time but you know for any of the guys that are out there that are listening and, and they don't want to give up you know on the dream and if they get you know they don't make an independent club or they get released from an organization there are so many countries out there and and obviously yes you want to go there and, and play professionally to get noticed and and maybe either make a national team or make it to the big leagues but you know, getting worldly educated is so vital to your education as a human being and being able to meet friends and, and, and just explore the world and get paid to do it. I mean, you, you can't complain about that because we're in such a small minority, us baseball players, that once the game is done, we're, we're only going to go into a few different things. We're either going to be a coach, you know, we're going to go into sales, or we're most likely going to you know, be a cop, a fireman or be an entrepreneur of, of some sort. So, you know, being able to learn a second or a third language and, and travel the world and and become aware, more aware of your surroundings and getting to know people and cultures, it's only going to help you advance in life get down the road. There, there's no doubt about it.
0: hundred percent. And also, if you're going to be playing foreign baseball, Italy is no slouch for a place to go. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. So, I mean, you can't really beat that. But it
2: was it was so cool because, again, like I said, we played Friday and Saturday off Sunday, Monday. So, for instance, if we had a if we were on a road trip, we went to Rome or Parma or wherever. You don't have to take the bus back with the guys. So we would just stay behind and just explore the cities. We'd go to Florence and Rome and Venice and all over the place. And, you know, as long as we were back for Tuesday night practice. So, I mean, we had Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, we'd jump on a train and uh, got to see a lot of the world. We got paid for it. I mean, it, it was so awesome. Really awesome.
0: Yeah, no, It sounds awesome. But uh, just the, the backtrack, you had said that there is really one of four major outcomes after you finish playing baseball. And you've dipped your toe in at least three of them. And I want to just kind of talk about a little bit of your coaching experience in independent league baseball how you were a pitching coach for Ottawa for a couple of years and then went to Long Island and then managed in Normal and now obviously in High Point so i was wondering what you kind of learned while in, on that Ottawa staff underneath Hal uh, Lanier
2: i will tell you just those 2 years were probably the the best 2 years i've ever had in baseball at any level and it was it was also the, the most educational and the most fun because I mean, you take a guy like Hal, yeah, Hal's 78 years older, but he's still young at heart. And I learned so much from standing on the rail next to Hal every single day on not only, you know, how to manage the bullpen, which I believe is the most important part of the game. And we can get into that later, but really how to manage your players. To me, there's nothing more important in this game. As a manager, as a coach, like my number one job is to let my players know that I care about them and let them know that I love them every single day. You know, I mean, that's more important than, you know, your batting average. It's more important than in certain aspects. It's more important than winning. And, you know, like our our main goal is to move guys along, you know, from independent Mm -hmm. ball back to an organization and up to the big leagues. And, you know, by showing your guys, you care about them, you love them and you trust it. And there's that trust between the both of you. It really helps your players get to that next level, and that and that's what we strive to do as coaches. But I'll tell you that the most that I've learned from Hal was after the ball games. You know, every yeah. night after the ball games, we'd sit in his office and we'd play cards and we would talk about the game and you know whether it be a glass of scotch or a couple of beers or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, Hal was great, and he always said, "Ask questions, ask questions, ask questions." And I would, you know, I would write down a little. You know, if it was the seventh inning and, you know, whether we bunted or not or pinch hit this guy or that guy, I would ask Hal after the game. I'd say, hey, Hal, how come in the eighth inning you went with uh, this guy to pinch hit and not that guy? Or why didn't you do this and do that? And, you know, I I guess you got to be careful with certain managers you have. Some guys may take that as offensive or whatnot, but, you know, Hal was very gracious in that in allowing me to ask all kinds of questions and be able to learn. Because Hal, he's been in the mountaintop, you know, he managed yeah. in the big leagues, played in the big leagues, played alongside Willie Mays and all this other stuff, and you know, he's done so much, so many great things in his career. And for me to have those two years with him, and, and for us to win a championship on top of that, I mean, that, that was just two of the best years of my life, baseball or no baseball.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you're underneath one of the guys that's a true baseball life where he's seen the game at so many different levels and from so many different aspects, to just be able to pick his brain and just ask, what would you do in this situation? How do you handle this situation? Just To just try and get that total demeanor of how you need to carry yourself as a coach to be successful and to be successful not only for yourself, but also your players as well. That's just an amazing opportunity.
2: Yeah, he was the best. And it was so cool. Like he's a big golfer. I'm not a golfer, but you know, on our off days, I'd go golfing every now and again, and 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 just learning, like you said, how to be a, a leader, how to be a manager, how to be a coach, how to be a, uh, a a kind of a father figure to some of these guys. You know, because you got to remember, throughout independent baseball, throughout all of baseball, there's all walks of life. You know, you know, I, I mean, on on clubs that I've I've been a part of, I've had plenty of guys that have been in the big leagues and I've, I've had plenty of guys that have been right out of college. So, you know, having that good personality and, and being able to listen, you know, for me, I know sometimes I get a little wordy or long with my answers, but being able to just listen to your guys and, and hear what they're, you know, what are they going through? What are they going through off the field? What are they going through in life? You know, a lot of times by just listening to what their problems are, that could help you figure out, you know, maybe what's wrong with their swing or their delivery or their mechanics or whatever. So, um, you know, being able to have that open mind and that great personality really uh, helps, it helped me, helps, help me uh, evolve and keep evolving as a, as a coach.
0: 100%. I mean, I, I personally think that a lot of the issues that athletes have, a lot of the problems are just slumps and struggles they go through. It's mostly mental more often than not. Once you reach a certain level, you know the way to. You know how to perform. You know what you need to do to be successful. But sports is as much mental as it is physical. Knowing couldn't agree.
2: I couldn't agree with you more. It could be more. It could be even more than that because, like you said, at this level, all these guys can play. You know, I it's so crazy. You see all this crazy stuff, all these contraptions, and all these gurus and all this stuff. All you need is just somebody who knows the game, has some feel, and understands what's going on with your player to be able to help them out. A- at least that's my opinion and especially
0: in independent baseball. Oh, 100%. It's how it works at every level. I know personally for me, I'm, I'm a bit of a golfer, and so I know when I go to hit a golf ball, there's so many different things you need to be doing to have your swing work perfectly and have the ball go where you want it to. But if you start thinking about all of those things from the minute you address the ball through impact you're going to screw something up because you're not focusing on what your goal is and the same mm-hmm. thing applies to baseball if you stand in the batter's box you know okay i need to try and get at this particular angle i need to read the ball this particular way if i want to punch it left or i want to punch it right if you're having all that go through your mind by the time you figured out what you need to do or what you want to do the ball's already in the catcher's mitt on its way back to the mound so oh, it's just, yeah it's just about keeping keeping your mind in the right in the right uh, state of mind
2: Yep. That and having a routine. That's, that's the one thing, especially if some younger players are, are, are on here, listening to this podcast. You got to have a routine. It doesn't matter what it is. You know, um, one of the great examples I can give is, is Stephen Cardulo. You know, hmm. Dulo played for me yeah. this past year. Those of you who don't know who Cardulo, Stephen Cardulo is. He played at, uh, Florida State and then signed as a, he signed with, uh, I
0: think Colorado, uh, Arizona. Arizona? Arizona,
2: well, Arizona back in the day. Okay. And then he had gotten released and he was in independent ball for like four years. Four years. Yeah. And this is a hitter, not a pitcher. Yeah. And then he got picked up by Colorado when he was in Brooklyn and he played in the big leagues for like a year and a half. But, uh, incredible story. But this guy's routine, I mean, he would come to the ballpark every single day, go to the cage. He'd do a little bit of lifting. He'd go to the cage and then he'd hit after get, but it, 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 it's, it's a crazy routine. But you know what? It works for him, and he does it every single day, and it makes him who he is, and that's why he's still in the game. You know, right now this year he he's going to Mexico to play. Um, had there he'd be out there now, had there you know not be the stoppage of play. But I mean, the guy just can hit, can run, can throw, he can play the game. But routine—that's the one thing I I really want to stress to the younger guys: is having your own routine. What works for you, not what works, what works first, what works for your teammate, or what works. For your head coach or your manager, what works for you.
0: Oh, yeah, that goes for everything in life, though. You need to have a routine on how you're going to do something because then eventually Mm -hmm. it just becomes second nature to you. And that's the important thing there is just being able to go, okay, this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to do it next, and you start to not think about it, and then eventually you get the results you want. But moving to the next stop, which would be Long Island, I'm just curious to see what was the immediate difference, if any, that you noticed between the – between the can-am league and the in the atlantic league
2: well obviously the more experienced players you yeah. know because there's no classifications in the atlantic league and yeah. you know especially long island you know i mean most of our club was all you know big league and triple a experienced guys but the two major things i noticed so one of them was i mean my seven eight nine was in su Chow. Um, Eric Gagné and David Ardsma, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> you don't really see that yeah. in any other independent, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, I tell you, I, I I really learned a lot as a pitching coach that year because I really learned to just shut up and listen. Yeah, you know? I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. Where those guys have been, I've never been. And the experiences that they had, we would go out for pitcher stretch and we'd be out there talking or whatever. And I'd let those guys do all the talking. I'm just here to delegate and help out and do what I can. But I'll tell you, it it was a really great opportunity for me to, Hey, really keep your ego in check, which I don't have an ego because, you know, again, I'm, (laughs) I've never been there, but to be around these guys and to hear them talk about what pitches to throw in certain situations or, Hey, I threw this to Barry Bonds and, You know, this, whatever it is, it was just so cool because the experiences that that those guys had allowed me to, oh, wow, because I've had experiences. Listen, I've gotten paid to play professionally, but not at that level and not those paychecks.
0: Yeah, it's a a major, there's a huge difference. There's a chasm between playing overseas and playing in Major League Baseball on on a regular basis.
2: Yeah, there's a big difference between pitching in front of 4,500 people and 45,000. Yeah. Um, and then the other, ma- the other major difference that I noticed was, was the depth of the ball club, you know, yeah. um, listen, every league in independent, ball, they're going to have a one and a two, but in the Atlantic league, I mean, year five is just as good or better than a lot of number ones throughout any other league starting rotation wise. Everybody's got a closer and everything like that nature. But, you know, I really noticed like your swing men, your seventh, eighth inning guys, in the Atlantic League, and with me in Long Island, and with me in uh, High Point, and other teams throughout the league, I mean, those guys are number one closers all over other leagues, you know? Yeah. There's really not many easy outs throughout the lineups. That's the other thing I noticed on the offensive side. Once or nine can hit. Once yeah. or nine can hit the Atlantic League. And again, you know, there's no classifications, higher salary cap, so you're able to go out and get you know, the better players or, you know, the more hot, the higher profile guys or the more experienced guys, however you want to, yeah. however the, you want to classify it. Yeah. But, the bigger uh, names,
0: the guys that and, and have,
2: you know, yeah. yeah. The guys that have been around the block, you know, the, for the most part, you know, the travel, um the travels travel, you know, you can't change that anywhere, but you know, the food, you know, you get fed pretty, pretty damn well in the Atlantic league. I mean, everywhere yeah. we've been for the most part, you know, especially Long Island and High Point and Sugarland, uh, Somerset. Yeah. You know, York. I mean, you're you're eating pretty good. You know,
1: yeah.
2: Um, you know, some little things like that. But uh, baseball is baseball. Any way you slice it or dice it, whether it's high school, college, pro, these guys all realize they have a job to do. Um, you know, they have a commitment that they're you know looking to to stick to, and and they have. Uh, here's the other difference is. We have so many kids running around the clubhouse in the Atlantic League. It's crazy. Everybody, yeah. most of the guys, married with kids, and you don't really see that in the Frontier League or the Can-Am League too often. Yeah. That was the other thing too, which is pretty awesome because mm. just think about it. You're coming to, you know, it's go to work with Dad Day, and you're hanging out in the outfield, and you know, hitting baseballs during BP. So that yeah. was the other pretty cool, uh, pretty cool difference.
0: Yeah, definitely there. So it's really just a lot of the it's a lot of little things that all add up in the end. But at the end of the day, everybody has the same goal. They're all trying to you know either get back to or get to affiliated ball or the major leagues again.
1: Yeah,
2: and that's and that's the one thing that I really loved about the Can-Am League, the Frontier League. Uh, I've never been in the American Association, but I know a lot of the managers, and you know it's so awesome um, having been able to work with you know guys like Bill Lee. And Steve Tassler in the Frontier League, just really good dudes. And, you know, at the end of the day, they're all about the players. They're all about their brand. I have worked with having worked with Miles Wolf, you know, in in the Can Am League. And you know, it was awesome, you know, and having a chance to have a full year in Long Island, you know, working with Frank Bolton. Frank Bolton, you know, the Atlantic League. I mean, started the Atlantic League and he, you know, his office was right next to Mike fax who, you know, was, was my GM when I was in Long Island and you know, every single day when I get to the ballpark, I go up to Mike's office and, you know, we just break it down, go over the salary cap, players, free agents, who we bring it in, who we get rid of. And it was so, it's, it's been awesome. It, it really has because yeah. you really get to see a, and how many different hats a coach can wear in, in, in independent baseball because you're not just a manager or, or a picnic coach. You know, you're doing the budget, you know, you're, you're the travel secretary, you know. Sometimes you might be helping the clubby. Sometimes I remember when I was managing in the normal. There were days where I would go in early and just help out in the front office, whether it's print out tickets or whatever, you know. So
0: yeah, everyone's got to uh, yeah, everyone's got to pitch in a little bit more in independent league mm-hmm. baseball. That's that's been the constant thread we've seen through all of these interviews. Is you're more than just what your title says you are because you can they can't have that same kind of expansive staff that a major league club would have
2: and it, right 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 exactly and then and, and the cool part is you know at the end of the day you know whether you win or lose you know it, believe me losing sucks i hate losing yeah. I don't, there's nothing i hate more than losing but you know when we're out there we put on the uniform we're signing autographs for kids or you know when we go to a school or a hospital and you know you're taking pictures and you know signing an autograph it's like that's what it's all about man it's putting a smile on a kid's face and you know, especially when you're in, a, in these smaller towns, like they can't go to Yankee Stadium or they can't, you know, go out to, uh, you know, the ballpark candlestick in, in Sanford, whatever it is. To, to yeah. these kids, this is their major league. And, like, if you just sign a ball for a kid or you wave to a kid or throw them a, you know, a foul ball, like, you make their day, man. It's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what it's all about. I mean, I remember when I was real little and I'd go to Nork Bear games like we were talking about off the air and I mean getting an autograph from Scott Hatterberg or or guys like Ty wigginton that was just like the coolest thing in the world to me to have a former major leaguer sign a baseball or a shirt or a hat or something was just it was awesome and you bring up a great point in areas that there isn't a major league team I mean I'm lucky enough where I have two two MLB clubs that are no more than an hour and a half from my house, so it's not impossible to go. But if you're in, you know, Sioux City, Iowa or even High Point, North Carolina, you gotta travel a little bit to see to see MLB baseball. So it, it fills in so critically in these communities to offer some sort of professional baseball.
2: Hundred percent. One hundred percent.
0: And you had mentioned your time, and before we jump to the current job you hold in High Point, I do want to just touch on Normal quickly, where you got a shot to manage. You were about 500 in the year you spent there. There's there's two real questions I have for you in Normal. The first thing was, what differences, like how big of a leap was it to go from a pitching coach to a manager? And when you got there in Normal, obviously that wound up being their last year. I'm just kind of curious to know if you knew going in it was going to be your last year or if that took you by surprise as much as it took everybody else by surprise?
2: Well, I'll answer the, uh, you know, the second question. Um, yeah. I didn't know. I mean, I kind of, everyone kind of had an idea. Yeah. You know, things were circulating around. You know, normal may only be around for a year. Um, we don't know. Yeah, But for me, it was a chance to manage. And for me, I tell you, the, the one thing I've learned, and a good friend of mine, Stan Clyburn, who manages yeah. and, in uh, Southern Maryland said he said this to me when I took the job he said you're going to learn something about yourself that you never knew you had a different side of yourself a different side of who you are and I learned that and I learned it quick and yeah being a pitching coach is great you only have 12-13 guys to worry about but when you're managing a professional ball club you've got 25 boys that you've got to take care of and watch after and I loved it I I love managing. It was probably, it was definitely the most stressful year I've ever had professionally, but it was also, I really had a chance to, oh, I don't have to run this by Hal, or I don't have to ask KB if, you know, hey, should we go with him or him? Like, that's my decision, you know? And, you know, because I was also the pitching coach, you know, but it was so cool, like before the games, I would say to Paskey, hey, Paskey, who do you want (laughs) to, you know, have hit today in the, in the four hole. Hey, what are you thinking? And I learned that from Hal. you know, yeah. and, and KB and Kevin was really good about that every now and again, Kevin or Hal would just say, Hey, write the lineup today. What do you got? You know? Yeah. But I tell you what, the one thing I did learn, I don't think I was a very good manager because I only managed for one year and the team folded. So I don't, I don't know if I did that great of a job, but, but um, yeah. no, I'm just, I'm just kidding, yeah, but
0: yeah.
2: I, I loved it. I, I really did. And um, I'll tell you, transitioning now into high point, working with Jamie, you know, uh, yeah. Jamie Keith, a guy who I have history with, and working with Frank Viola, a guy yeah. that I just met last year, we have such a, a great chemistry on our coaching staff, and I've had to take a huge step back, which I have no no problem with at all. And I finally had a chance to work with a pitching guy. I've never worked with a pitching guy before because I've always been the pitching guy and shit. I get a chance to work with Frank Viola. Are you kidding me? Um, it was outstanding, outstanding. And it was so cool. Just listening to Frank talk and watch him work with the pitchers. And I, I realized that Frank and I are very similar. We're very old school minded. You know, our main things, Hey, be tough, compete, Attack the zone, throw strikes, you know, have yeah. a swagger about you. It was so cool to kind of learn that, okay, my thoughts, my beliefs are pretty true, you know, like, because yeah. at some point you kind of maybe you doubt yourself a little bit. Maybe I shouldn't do this or do that. But, you know, learning from Frank is, hey, just tell them straight up. And, and Hal always taught me that too. Tell the players straight up, tell them what you're thinking, tell them what you feel. But uh, it's great yeah. working with Jamie. I know we're going to segue into that, but it- it's so cool working with these guys. We have so much fun. You know, Jamie and I putting the ball club together. We're on the phone every day trying to make the club better. It's I'm in a great spot, and I really love you know being in High points. awesome.
0: Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions was because I know when the roster was first coming out, and I was looking it over, I was like, oh wow, there's a lot of former Can-Am League guys that I'm noticing on this roster. So I was—I wondered how much that kind of Can-Am League influence between you and Jamie had on the roster there, and also just what it's like to build a roster completely from scratch. I know every year in indie balls there's so much turnover, but at least normally you have some guys that you want to bring back or guys that you kind of expect to see back. But when you're starting from scratch, it's a whole different ball game. Pardon the pun.
2: Yeah, no, you're right, and and it was so fun because if you think about it. You know, we had the pick of the litter. First of yeah. all, we're in the Atlantic. Who doesn't want to play in the Atlantic League? And yeah. then second of all, brand new stadium, mm-hmm. brand new club, beautiful city in North Carolina. I mean, you got Frank Viola as your pitching coach. I mean, Jamie Keefe is your manager. Jamie's been in the game for a long time. And obviously me as the bench guy and the and the player guy. And and you're right now you're playing for three guys that their main goal is to get you to an organization. I mean, yeah. right there, you're setting yourself up for success. So we literally had the pick of the litter. We could sign just about anybody we want. And it, it wasn't very difficult for us to put that team together. And and, and you know how it is. Once yeah. that team's put together, you know, the manager's going to write the lineup. We're going to make decisions throughout the game. But at the end of the day, it's the players. You know, yeah. um, You know, the old saying, when you win, the players did a great job. When you lose, manager's fault. <laughs> yeah. I, le- I learned that from from uh, from my boy Stan also. Yeah. But um, you know, it was so cool because putting that team together and having obviously a bigger salary cap, you know, in, in the Atlantic League that I did in the Frontier and Can Am. I mean, you got room to wiggle, you know. Yeah. So you know, and you want to pay guys what they're worth and all that stuff. But it was so much fun and to see what we put together have the success that we had last year was so rewarding. And yeah, we were the first team ever to make the playoff, you know, the first expansion team ever to make the playoffs. Um, It didn't go very well in the playoffs, but we Uh made it. Uh, I think we had seven or eight all-stars on the team. Uh, Uh We had seven guys picked up, you know, throughout the year. But the best part about what we did all of last year the best thing, the most self-fulfilling thing was I think we throughout the whole season had quote unquote released, I think, yeah. 16, 16 players or something like that or 15. Mm-hmm. But instead of releasing those 15 or 16 guys, we got 13 or 14 up jobs. Yeah. And that was the coolest part uh, of being on our staff with the connections that Jamie and Frank and myself you know, have put together over the years and building relationships with other managers mm. and coaching staffs to trust us to say, well, yeah, we're getting rid of this guy, but we want to send him to you. Most of the time it's like, well, why the hell are you getting rid of the guy? And why would you yeah. want to send him to me? You know, yeah. it's just at, at that point, maybe the guy wasn't, uh, you know, performing well for us. Maybe we found somebody better. A lot of times with the pitching, some of the pitchers weren't having success with the track man. Yeah. You know, because the track, the track man is just straight up and down. It doesn't give the corners. And we had a couple of pitchers, uh, last year, you know, yeah. uh, Tyler Heron and, uh, Ryan Williams Okay. and they weren't having as much success as they were without the track man. We sent them both to the American association. I think both of those guys had sub three ERAs over, you know, yeah. significant amount of time. So, you know, that, that was the best part was being able to keep the kids in the game keep them playing um, instead of just taking them saying, hey, you're done, you know, good luck finding a job. We found, you know, 13 out of 15, 14, whatever it was. That was the best part of, of what we did last year. There's there's no doubt about it.
0: Yeah, and I know there was at least a handful of them that wound up still playing for a championship in the Can-Am. I mean, even Breland, Breland Almondova, he wound up on SportsCenter too. So, I mean <laughs> – that's our. That's a plus. If anything, there too. I mean, but yeah, in all seriousness, having most of the guys that wind up leaving your team either go into affiliated ball or at least have a job somewhere else in indie ball is. It's an amazing feather to have in the cap to see that even if you go to high point, even if it doesn't work out here for you, you're going to have another job somewhere else. That's an amazing selling point, point. and also I imagine trying to get a lot of the higher quality available talent to come to high points a lot easier when you have a guy like Frank Viola as your pitching coach
2: yeah it's a pretty easy sell and and it's so funny you know Frank is such a great guy and he's so you know he reminds me a lot of Hal um, in the sense that he's so humble when you talk to Hal when you talk to Frank they don't say I this is what I did me 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 they're so they're very selfless and great people And such great people to be around. But I'll tell you what, here's a funny, uh, on the record, off the record. So, Jamie and I had so much fun with Frank last year. Okay. Because Frank's been around the game for a long time. Yeah. Professional baseball, major league baseball, a pitching coach of Triple F, but he was new to independent ball. Okay. So, Especially in, the, in spring training in the beginning of the year. Oh, Jamie and I would wear him out of Frank. You can't do that. You can't say that. Yeah. You know, th- this can't happen. You know, just, and he goes, you SOBs, you MFers, screw you. Guys. We had so yeah. much fun with him. And, you know, we, yeah. we, and, and that's the other thing. We bust each other's chops every yeah. single day, whether it's Jamie, Frank, Albert Gonzalez, our, our bullpen yeah, coach yeah. and bullpen catcher, uh, Bubba Birdsong who who's with us like half the year who's who was with jamie in, in rockland he's a school teacher and and yeah. uh just he's like 116 years old and he comes out and he throws bp every day and, and the main reason why we have him is so he can throw bp but he could also hang out with frank since him and yeah. frank are you know a little older but yeah. but no i'm just kidding but it, it's a yeah. great staff you know christian heimel has done a great job um you know, yeah. running things pretty much from the top, and and uh, we love it. We love it. It's and and, and like you said, it just makes it such an easy sell for guys to want to want to come play there.
0: I mean, yeah. And plus, when you're having fun playing, then everyone wants to be a part of it because it's just the atmosphere around it. When you're winning and you're having fun, who doesn't want to be a part of it?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, hundred percent.
0: Yeah. And then there's just one other thing I want to touch on before I kind of shift gears a little bit on you, which is when those changes started to come into effect about about halfway through the year, how did you guys as a coaching staff just kind of adjust to it? Because obviously it was a pretty radical shift.
2: You know, all we did was we said, guys, listen, you know, Major League Baseball, as you all know, is, is evolving just like everything else is with technology, you know, businesses evolving and you know, this is, this is what they want to do. They want to try it out. Let, let's just spearhead it. You know, we, we stayed as positive as we could, you know, and, and everything's going to have their flaws, you know, yeah. whether it's work, business, relationships, whatever. But, you know, I really think that we did the best that we could to, you know, have a positive outlook on it. And, you know, like I said, there were a couple of guys that they just couldn't pitch to track man. So instead of complaining about it we traded those guys, you know, we helped them out. You know, we said, listen, we don't want to get rid of you, but if you want to stay in this game, this is going to be the good move for you. So, you know, uh, I, I really feel that we, uh, you know, like they had a track man guy that was in the dugout. So the, the players, they would all call him Mr. Man, you know, just, just busting his chops. Again, we're playing a kid's game. We're trying, we're just, we're here to win, you know, we're here to promote guys and stuff. And, but at the same time we're having fun. So, yeah. you know, was it challenging at times, but you know what? It wasn't just challenging for us. It was challenging for the other team in the other dugout We yeah. embraced it. You know, we've embraced it and you know, whatever changes are going to happen this year, we're going to run with it and we're going to adjust to it and do what we can to, to uh, take advantage of certain things. Like if you look at our roster, you know with with the pickoff move it's real easy to steal bases so if you look at the guys we've we've added you know like Darren Ford Mikey Reynolds you know we're bringing yeah. back a healthy Jared Mitchell yeah you know um you know we've added a couple other guys Martinson and we're going to steal yeah. a lot of bases you know so uh yeah. we d- we just adjusted to it and and yeah. just said hey listen we can either be upset and complain or we can just take advantage of of uh, certain rules and adjust our roster accordingly. And we did, and we'll see what happens this year.
0: Exactly. I mean, winners adapt. It's as simple as that. You've got to find a way to overcome it. And like you said, you're playing a game that everyone wants to be playing at that point. You know, there's millions of people in America that all want to be playing baseball for money and eventually go on to be a star in major league baseball. So when you're at least playing, continuing to play baseball, it's hard to be upset, and positivity positivity is key in all of this. So, but just going just going to shift gears on you a little bit quickly, and just talk about a little bit of time you spent back at Lynn when you went back to coach, and then won a Division Two national championship there, which is pretty good work in one year.
2: Yeah, I got lucky. I really did. Yeah. Um, so I played at Lynn, and um, right around that time, a good buddy of mine. Uh, who was the pitching coach there since we graduated, uh, Jesse Kapelish. Uh, he had wound up getting a scouting job with the uh, Houston Astros. Okay. And at that point in time, I was kind of in between. Am I go- going back to sales? What am I doing? So um, I've always had a great relationship with our head coach, uh, Rudy Garbalosa, who's still there. Um, he's been there since 2000, actually. And his first year as head coach was 2001, which was my uh, senior year and uh he said listen the job doesn't pay much you're gonna work a lot but you know we got a good club and you should have some fun so you know i wound up going on there for the year and and it was a great year um obviously yeah we, we won the division two national championship which was pretty awesome yeah um we had tommy canely on that team right. uh, current reliever for the uh for the new york yankees right now yeah and uh this just different, you know, the college game. And that's the one thing where I look at it now. I'm like, well, do I, would I ever want to go back in a cup? Not really. I mean, I, college is great, but I love playing every day. You know, I'm not a big fan of, you gotta, you know, all, all these NCAA rules and regulations and then recruiting. And then you got parents involved and, but it was fun though. You know what I mean? I was, yeah. close, you know, 10 minutes from the house and going to practice every day, throwing BP, hitting fungos, working with the pitchers. And, again, getting to learn, Get, had a, another opportunity to learn from another, uh, great baseball coach and a, and a great man, you know, in, in garbs, just a, a wonderful human being who I still talk to from time to time. And, and, uh, it was good. It was different. You know, I, like I said, I, I definitely prefer the, uh, the pro game over the college game. You know, it's a lot less, uh, it's just a different game. You know, it just seems like, you know, in college, they, they bunt in like the first inning and they bunt with their three and four hitter and all this crazy stuff and all this rah-rah stuff. And yeah. obviously in the pro game, it, it's it's obviously a little bit different.
0: Yeah, that was going to be my next question, actually, is the difference between playing pro ball and coaching pro ball and then playing, you know, college ball and coaching college ball. But it just seems like the differences are anything's on the table in college as opposed to pros. And you kind of have two different goals. I'm not sure if I, I'm totally right on that, though, or not.
2: No, I, you are. I mean, but it's just different. Like with college, you got to be careful because these guys are, you know, 18, 19 years old. They're a lot younger. You know, a lot yeah. of times they're a lot less mature. Not that I'm saying they're immature, but they're, the maturity level is a lot less than when you have a 25, 28 or, you know, 35 year old, um, you know, player. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's funny. Like for me, I, I, I don't really curse a lot or swear a lot, but I do. I'm a human being. Everybody yeah. does. But it's like at the college level, you kind of got to be careful. What if they go to, to the dean or their parent or the parent hears that you cursed and they go to the dean. It's just, it's just a lot, a lot more crap that you have to deal with. Um, you know, at the college level, but you know, uh, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's what you want to deal with and what you don't want to deal with. And for me, I, I just love going to the ballpark every day, 140 games a year. Hopefully one day it'll be 162 games a year that I'll be going to the ballpark and. And, um, you know, yep. and just just helping the ball club win and, and and getting these guys to become better, better young men, you know, off the field.
0: Yep, 100 percent there. And I do think that is the large reason behind the creation of Meta prospect, which I'm going to let you explain what that's all about now. Before you jump headlong into it, I just do want to know, does it have anything like did it form out of this elite 22 baseball that I saw?
2: Yeah, that was that Elite Twenty Two baseball, that was just a little travel thing that I had. It okay. was just a local thing. Yeah, that no, it isn't really nothing to do
0: with it. Okay, yeah. I just saw I, yeah. when I was doing the research, I saw it, and I saw you. Were, you had it going for like twelve years. I was like, Oh, I wonder, because it ended right around it the same time. Do- yeah.
2: Yeah, it was just me doing lessons and mm-hmm. then what I wanted to do is just form a legitimate business. Just yeah. you know. Just yeah. to have something on paper legit.
0: Yeah, and then the meet prospect is more of like I'll, I'll let you explain it. so that way I that way I know it's done correctly.
2: Yeah, no you're fine. no um, I don't know about five or six years ago I uh, I had finally just gotten sick and tired of these like recruiting websites and I don't know. I just saw like kid kids like in high school were paying like hundreds in some cases thousands of dollars to have their stuff broadcasted. And I was like, wait a minute, that that's just, I don't know, it's just to me it seemed highway robbery. And then it was like, oh, if you put your stuff on our website, we'll call all these college coaches and this and that. And I was just like, okay. So, yeah. you know, I, the idea kind of came to me. I was like, I just want to kind of create like a network for players just so guys can share some video, share some content, get their name out there, and, um, you know, Uh, five years later you know we've we've helped over 200 guys you know sign professional contracts and it's been pretty awesome you know the the group page is cool you know guys are posting in there every single day and um you know it's just like i said an opportunity for guys to broadcast themselves you know we don't charge any money for the uh you know for anything that's done online for you know for the instagram page uh, twitter or facebook page or whatever um and then all of a sudden, like two years ago, people wanted us to do live events, mm. and I was like, "Okay, I, I guess why uh-huh. not?" So um, we actually did one in we sponsored one in uh, on the west coast of Florida, like two and a half, three years ago, and it was totally free. We didn't charge any money, and but we didn't have any managers there. So, uh-huh. but it was good. We had we had like fifty players show up, and it was a good chance for me to get out there for two days, work with some pitchers, work with some players, and then. You know, after that, we started doing events. So we've done, uh, you know, three or four events, three or four live events. And, you know, every, every event we've had, we, you know, we've had, you know, 10, 12 guys signed, uh, right on the spot. So it, it's been cool. You know, for those, we do have, have a fee for those events. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, we have, you know, major league scouts, independent managers, we have other, um, leagues come out. And they come and I, I tell them, I said, listen, you guys talk to players, get them, to go to your camp, have them go to your organization, travel with you, do your tour. Do I don't care. It, it's just about helping players, you know, and yeah. um, it's uh, it's been fun and, and I really enjoy it. You know, it, it, it's uh, and it's also a good way when we have these events to get together with the boys. You know, you get a bunch of the managers come together. You know, I get them hotels and we get dinner and all this stuff. So it's. um." At the end of the day, we're just doing good stuff for players, just like uh, yeah. everybody else is out there. Exactly. And, um, you know, we're just, hey, we're just trying to help. That's it. Yeah, just that- giving guys another alternative avenue for them to be seen. And if they can get a job, they can get a job. Or if they can go join another organization, by all means, have at it, have fun. Um, Hopefully we can get you a
0: job. Yeah, at the end of the day, everybody's working towards the same goal. Everybody's trying to, you know, get their guys signed and move them along to the next Mm -hmm. and higher level. And I'm just curious to see, like, is there any in particular group that you look for to try and get in to meet a prospect? Because I know it seems like there's a wide range here from anywhere from, like, high school seniors to guys that were playing pro ball a little bit. Because it seems to me to be a lot like almost Facebook meets, like, Match.com or something like that. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. So uh, I'm glad you brought that up. So, you know, I think we've done a pretty good job right now of hammering the uh, professional and independent and college baseball market. What we would really love to do the next phase is to get this out to basketball and football and hockey and lacrosse and, you know, all these other sports. And especially for high school and college, you know, that that would be our goal for the other sports is high school and college helping these guys and women you know, get scholarships, and then obviously from college get into, you know, uh, a professional league. And, you know, the long term goal of this would be to be able to sponsor events all over the country and all over the world, you know, but yep. we're very, uh, very small, very small staff. And, um, you know, very, like I said, we're, we're just here to help out. And if we can evolve, if there's anybody out there that's interested, you know, feel free to reach out to me, and and if there's something we could do to expand and 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 keep helping these kids out, I, I'm here to listen.
0: Yeah, it's just one one day at a time. You just got to keep growing incrementally there, and it it definitely is something that was going to be my next question was: is it just baseball or not? But obviously, to try and get to more kids, and I think that's definitely definitely a, g- a great goal to have because. If you're the first time you're going through this, I'm just thinking as like a parent, the first time you have a kid going to college or the first time, you know, they're really getting to serious athletics and they may have a shot at playing in college. You really don't know what you're doing. You don't know how the whole scouting process works, what you have to do to get seen. It's all you're stuck in the fog of war. So to have someone there or at least have a, a platform there that could try and help with that, even if it's just saying, "Okay, just post your tape on here post a little bit of a description of the kind of person you are the kind of player you are it helps a ton
2: oh absolutely absolutely and there and there are a bunch of other guys and and organizations that are out there that are helping players and and it's cool i'm just glad to like i said just to have my hat in the ring a little bit and and um you know just just to help the kids man that's what it's all about
0: yeah and so for those that are listening, because I know we do have a very wide-ranging demographic, if they're not already on Meet a Prospect, where could they, A, find Meet a Prospect and sign up for it? And then secondly, when you make a profile, what are the kind of things that you should look to put into that profile to help attract more eyes on it?
2: Sure. Where we have the most traffic right now is in our Facebook group page. And you don't have to sign up. All you need to do is um, ask to be uh, uh, yeah, just ask to invited join the group. in. Yeah, all you have to do is just join the group, and then uh, we'll get an alert, and then uh, we'll read the profile and make sure it's a legit player and all that stuff, and then we'll approve you in the group. And then um, once you're approved in the group, you know, I say put in separators. I I, I think the the best way to do it, hello, my name is so-and-so, you know, I'm six foot, blah, 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 from here, Uh, please take a please take a look below at uh, some video clips I put together. And then I would also include a link to your baseball reference or uh, any link to stats or any kind of separator. you know, Um, for those of the guys out there that are into, you know, analytics, there are major league scouts that are on our, in our group. So if you have anything that's got analytical data, you know, feel free to put that on there. Um, You know, and then the other thing the other piece of advice is when you're writing emails, emails do get read by the way. They don't yeah. all just get deleted. So when you're writing an email and if you know, make sure it's personalized. Like if you're mm. writing an email to me, right, dear Billy or whatever. Um mm. don't just write like hello sir, like do a little bit of homework, do some research and you know, write out a nice professional email. And that's the other thing I suggest too is a lot of times, you know, guys will send me stuff and then what I do is I'll just send it out to the uh, American Association, the Atlantic League, and the uh, you know the Can-Am League. Yeah. So do your homework, guys. You know, look and see who are the commissioners of the league. Find their email addresses, and then they'll send them out to everybody. And then you know, especially in independent ball, here's a just a little tip for everybody out there. Nobody cares about analytics. Nobody cares about your uh, spin rate. Nobody cares about your launch angle stats are what matters in independent ball okay because in independent ball our job is to win first and foremost that's it are you going to help my team win yes or no i don't care if you throw 97 miles an hour with a 2900 spin rate but if you've got 100 career innings and you got 80 career walks i'm not signing you i don't care if you pitch in the big leagues or not so when you're reaching out to these independent leagues you've got to have good numbers okay and be realistic you know If, if you're a guy that just got released out of rookie ball and you've been a rookie ball for three years and you hit 200, don't reach out to teams in the Atlantic League. You're not going to get signed. You're wasting your time. So what I would do is then put together an email, you know, to the uh, Frontier League, American Association, Can Am, and I would put it with some good video and, you know, you go that way. But when you're writing emails to major league organizations, lead with, your analytical data especially if you test well and that's the big difference between organized ball now and and independent ball you know if if you test well analytically but you have really bad career statistics you got a better shot at getting a job with a major league organization in the minor leagues than you do an independent ball Hmm. does that make does that make sense to you
0: yeah yeah no it definitely does yeah i mean because you know in the independent leagues like i said your guys are supposed to be winning and moving guys along and to be quite honest, yeah. I, from what I see, at least from a lot of the independent leagues and whatnot, having that kind of—you ha- rather have the guy that has that's the better player right now and the harder worker and just an overall more complete package than the guy that you look and go in three years if he constantly is working and improving, he'll be a really good ball player. Not to say you don't want both of them, but if you're giving your choice, right. the guy that's going to help you more immediately is your better choice. It's you're just yeah, more exactly
2: exactly we need to win today and and it's so funny like you know when we look at you know the the, the you know an, an agent you know when agents reach out look at his spin rate look at his launch angle look at his exit velo when those guys have you are what your numbers are for the most part you know unless yeah. you've had a two year layoff and you were hurt and then you're reinventing yourself but career wise statistically you you pretty much are who you are and listen i've missed on guys you know there have been guys i haven't signed because They've got terrible numbers.
1: <laughs> yeah. He's
2: a two ten hitter. Why would I want a two ten hitter? Well, his exit velo, his exit velo is not going to help me win ball games. So, you know, just yeah. a little tip for 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 those guys out there. And, and again, the guys that test well analytically, you know, target more major league organizations than than independent ball because you're going to have a real tough time. You know, if you got a career eight ERA and like I said, you're you're walking eighty guys every hundred inning. I don't know many guys that are going to sign you. I don't care how hard you throw.
0: Which leads me to a follow-up question, which is, as a player procurement guy, when you look at a player, what are the stats that are the most important to you, both as a pitcher and as a hitter?
2: Yeah, well, as a pitcher, the first thing I go to is I go to innings pitched and walks. That's number one. Yeah. Then I revert back to innings pitched, and I go to strikeouts. All right. Then Then I go back to innings pitched, and I look up number of hits given up. All right. And then, and then if those three all hit the criteria, then all right, then let me take a look at the ERA. I'll take a look at the whip. Um, hmm. you know, that's pretty much the main, the main stats, you know, that, that I would look at. And, and then, like I said, and then, you, you know, you go from there. You know, I don't. Yeah. I don't care about wins and losses. I, you know, that, yeah. that stuff doesn't matter. You know. Yeah, a lot of the wins uh, and
0: losses they're subjective. They're based off of the team around you more so. You can only control yeah. so much as a pitcher, but it's about the right. innings it's, pitch, because then at least you have a larger sample size to work off of. So you can say, ah, it's, this season wasn't a fluke. It was pretty pretty consistent.
2: Right, and then obviously, yeah, strikeouts per nine and walks per nine are important, but. I get that in my head. I just do it mathematically yeah. unless it's written right there in baseball reference, you know, from innings, pitch to walks, innings, pitch to strikeouts. Yeah. And then, um you know, and then for hitters, it depends on what I'm looking at. You know, if I'm looking for, you know, hey, oh, we just lost an outfielder and we got four guys. Well, is he a corner outfielder or a middle you know, or, or is he a center fielder? Yeah. You know, obviously, if he's a corner guy, I would prefer a guy with, you know, a lot of RBIs, a lot of runs scored, um, a lot of home runs, not so many strikeouts, you know, if possible. Yeah. You know, I don't care about stolen bases, you know, in that, you know, yeah. in, in that retrospect, I want a guy with a lot of doubles. You know, I'd rather a guy with a lot more doubles than home runs. That's right. just me. Um, obviously yeah. batting average and on base percentage, you know, that's yeah. important, but it doesn't get too in depth. You know, we're not looking at, uh, oh, oh, you know, OPS plus, slugging plus wah plus you now there's no there's no major scientific uh formulas you know sometimes hey there's been a couple of times where if a guy got hurt yeah during a game i'd run to my i'd run into the office and i would text like four or five agents and say hey mike this guy just went down what do you got and then i'd go back you know on the field and go back and all yeah. of a sudden i would get three names look them up and then boom i just signed a guy during a game
0: <laughs> I've, yeah. done,
2: I've done that before you know
0: yeah yeah. So, I was, so yeah, I was just curious on that front as for as for that. And I'm trying to see what else I have here because I got I got so many notes here of stuff to ask. Because when I was doing the research, like I said, you, the resume you have is just it's so accomplished that there's so much to talk about here. But I, I also see we're nearly at an hour, so I don't want to take up too much more of your time here. I I guess with that front here, I the- got
2: I got one I, I got one thing that I'd like to talk about. It's about yeah. coaches. Coaches going from independent ball to organized ball now. I, yeah. I'd like to say a positive on that if you want to.
0: Yeah, no, I was about to say, I'm going to give you the floor to say, if you want to yeah. say anything, go for it. So
2: Okay. Yeah. You ready?
0: Yeah, go for it.
2: So one of the other cool things about independent baseball, uh, not only for players, but for coaches. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this year alone, I, I've had at least half a dozen of my good friends get jobs with major league organizations as Managers and coaches, you know, Cam oh, Ross. Oh, um, yeah, Cam. Cam, one of my best friends in baseball. He, you know, he was managing in the Frontier League in Lake Erie and, you know, he's now managing with the Detroit Tigers and Dennis Pelfrey, great dude.
0: Yeah, we had um, him on a couple weeks back. Yep. Really nice yep, dude. Yeah, I
2: love, I love Dennis. He's now managing in the San Francisco Giants organization. Uh, Chris Newell, yeah. who was in the US PBL, is now uh, managing in the Mets organization. Um, Tony Smith,
0: yeah. right, yeah. pitching
2: coach in, in Schomburg, he's now with the Detroit Tigers also. I'm sure I'm missing a couple other guys, but it's so crazy because it's not just players that are going from independent ball to organized ball. Um, And it's so awesome to see guys like that get opportunities to, you know, further their careers and hopefully get, get to the big leagues one day. I mean, you know, I, I never made it to the big leagues as a player. I'd love to get there as a coach one day, you know, so... Yeah. You know, it's so cool to to see that, and I and I wish those guys and and all the other guys that got jobs this year, you know, uh, all the world of luck, and and I really hope that they uh, they all make it up to the big leagues. It's so cool.
0: Oh yeah, hundred percent there, and I think that that goes on conversations we've had with other guests on this show, which is. There's so much that you can do with independent league baseball, and there's just this misconception about it that's almost like where ball players go to die or something like that. And it's just that can be farther from the truth. There's just a lot of guys here that got a couple of bad breaks or they got released for no reason or they just were overlooked. And then they come here, they revitalize their career, they go on to have great careers from there. They have so much success, yeah. and it works for both players and coaches. And yeah,
2: I. Yeah, I've been so fortunate that I've had four players of mine go from independent ball to the big leagues. Um, I had Wilmer Font in Ottawa for for two years, and um, he had gotten picked up by the Blue Jays, wound up making it back to the big leagues uh, a year or so later. And then uh, one of the coolest things that that I've ever been a part of was in 2017, we had Henderson Alvarez, Tim Melville, and um, Q. Yep. Quentin Barry, mm. all three of those guys got picked up, made it to the big leagues in the same season. So I, I remember that before one of our games, um, Melville got called up and wound up yeah. pitching, and we watched it on TV in, in our clubhouse. So awesome. Yeah. And it was like, wait a minute, like just a month and a half ago, this dude was pitching for us, and now he's yeah,
0: and- on TV. That, see that, that's just the crazy swing that can happen and it's just a shame that not as many people seem to realize that's a reality I mean there's a lot of players out there that just don't know that independent leagues even exist and it's a shame because they can do so much
2: yeah yeah it's uh it's a beautiful thing and it's it's done a lot of a lot of good and I'll tell you without independent baseball I don't know where in the world I would be I'd probably be in medical sales or something I, I wouldn't be in baseball yeah. I can get I can pretty much guarantee you that. So, it's been great. You know, I love it. I miss it. Um, I'm really hoping we can get back on the field, you know, soon. Hopefully, you know, they're talking about this early July uh, start for Mm. the major leagues, for independent ball. So, um, that's what we're hoping for.
0: Yeah, no, sooner than later, that's why we want baseball. I mean, more baseball, the better. So, as we... (laughs) Yep. So as we kind of reach the end here, I'm going to give you the floor to just kind of plug anything you have to plug, summarize anything you want to summarize, or if we have anything left unsaid that you want to say, the time to do that is now. So the floor is yours.
2: Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, I just wanted to say thank you very much for having me on. I, again, I really enjoy, um, you know, your 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 podcast, uh, and I especially enjoy your page. And um, you know, we got a lot of love. You know, uh, yeah. this off season, you know, a lot of people are, you know, calling out high point as right now the best team on paper. And, you know, we really appreciate you guys recognize that we, you know, as a staff, we do everything in the world we can to put together the best product on, on the field and in the community. Um, but that doesn't mean anything until, you know, yeah. until the bell rings and, and you get on the, you get on the field. And, and that's what we're hoping to do soon. You know, you yeah. know, thank you so much again for having us on. We hope everyone out there is, uh, staying safe and, and staying blessed and being kind to everybody. And, you know, like I said, hopefully we can just get back on the diamond as soon as possible. And, uh, I'd love to be on the show again, uh, maybe sometime in the future.
0: Oh yeah, no, definitely. We'll have to have you back on again. And I, I appreciate you coming on because a while back, I made a list of people I wanted to have on. Your name was at the top of that list. Cause I just kept seeing players mentioning your name. So it's like, Oh, I, I have to talk to this guy. And so <laughs> I, I'm just glad well, that, uh, yeah. I'm just glad we were able to make that happen. And again, I appreciate yeah. you coming on the show and I appreciate all the nice things you said about the page and everything. And I know I'm one of those people to have you guys ranked right at the top here. And even though I, I those ratings alone, I've gotten so much flack for that top 10 list on Twitter. It's been nuts. <laughs> and the best well, hey, part- listen, yeah.
2: so, sometimes bad press is OK. Sometimes I mean, bad press is OK.
0: I'm not going to complain, but I will say this much, as I'm sure on the episode this one's going out on, uh, I'm going to address some of these. But the Quebec fans telling me that they should be in the top 15 because they've won championships in the past is not an acceptable reason to put you on a list for the top teams this year. And also to the St. Paul fans, which I do appreciate because you're rabid, at the, t- at the time I made these lists, you only had 12 players on your team. I can't put a, a, uh, a team that only has 12 players in the top 15 unless you have 12 all-stars in the major leagues.
2: Two of my favorite places to play, oh, Quebec yeah. and St. Paul. Two oh, of the best.
0: Oh, yeah. No, Quebec, everyone says that about Quebec. Everybody <laughs> oh, says Quebec's best. awesome.
2: It's the best.
0: All right, man. Thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it.
2: Absolutely. You got it, my man. You take care. You stay safe.
0: All yeah, right, I just like to once again thank Billy for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it. We both appreciate it. Uh, yep. He was a great guy to talk to. I definitely look forward to having him back on again. He is more than welcome on. Uh, like I said, and I think it's very clear uh, for everyone that listened through the hour-plus-long interview, which is longer than most of these interviews go for, Yeah, is how positive of a guy he is, how nice of a guy he is, and he really does genuinely care about the player's that are under his watch that are on his roster uh i think that's very clear from how he was saying you have to understand some of these guys you have a whole variety some have experience in the show while some of them are college graduates and some of them just need like this mentor father figure for them Uh, that was very clear to me that okay he really does care about these guys especially when he started talking about the thing that i i think at least in his mind he's most proud of is of the 16 guys High Point had to let go of last year, 13 of them were at least traded or moved to another club. Yeah. They were they wound up somewhere else on a roster. Only three of them were just outright released and didn't go anywhere with it. And I think that that's definitely a source of pride for him. Yeah. How, even if we can't help you or you're just not performing enough for our level, we're still going to try and get you a job elsewhere. We're not going to leave you out to dry. And I think having that, as well as how he talked about just the all-star staff he has in High Point, between those two factors and the success and all the elements that go into High Point, I could definitely see why they're a destination to go to.
1: Absolutely, and and that's really was one of the most important parts of the interview. Interview for me is that he shows kind of the the way that these that High Point's looking at um guys and the way that high point is really working to make sure guys can continue their careers after they leave the rockers i mean it, it's an impossible situation for a lot of guys who get cut from these indie indie ball teams and now they're like what do i what do i do and for him and, and others to have on the staff there jamie and, and the rest of them to have those kind of relationships that they can pinpoint to other teams other organizations other leagues uh, and they can put guys in it position to succeed i I mean and the the point he made about the track man i thought was fascinating right you've got these two pitchers who are really really great but because of the way that the trackman works they can't you know the way they pitch doesn't work with uh with high point doesn't work with the atlantic league so he sends them to the american association and what did he say it was like a they both had a sub three era yeah yeah they're both in the twos yeah i mean that's brilliant and so i think you've got these guys who are just uh you know really in high point, they have just a group of guys who really understand what independent league baseball is all about. And I think Billy leads the pack in that, just understanding how to make guys uh, successful. And, and it all goes back to the point you made early on with just the fact that he cares about his players. There is, you know, not every coach cares the way that he does uh, about his players. And so I think that's something that really separates him, uh, makes him so interesting to listen to, interview, and certainly, I'm sure, interesting uh, and really enjoyable to play for.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the guy, like everything you just said there is truly, the guy cares so much. And I think that, out of above all things, is truly the selling point. If you get your option between, okay, I could be in High Point or I could be in, take any other really Atlantic League park and you just see how much the staff genuinely cares and how much just kind of chemistry and community there is in that locker room. You want to be a part of something like that. You want to be where you know that staff has your back whether you're part of the team or not part of the team, and it's just very clear there. Especially, I mean, if you're a pitcher, I I don't think you could find a better situation than having Frank Viola as your pitching coach. Oh and, yeah, and having a guy like Billy Horn and Jamie Keith there too. Guys that know independent ball in and out. They know how to get guys to that next level, and it just the thing that I think is the largest takeaway from just talking with Billy is just how much. He takes pride in what he does. He takes pride in moving these guys to the next level. He takes pride in, you know, caring about these guys. He takes pride in making sure that these guys have a place to play. Obviously, he wants to win, and the results show. I mean, as an expansion team, they did very, very well in High Point. I mean, I don't think anyone could call last year an unsuccessful year in High Point. Oh, no. Uh, Yeah
1: yeah great year
0: exactly i mean if they didn't run into long island if they didn't run into the eventual champs in the first round they probably would have went even further but unfortunately for them they just got a bad draw regardless it's still there's just so much about organization when they bring in these types of guys that is just so positive and billy is definitely a large part of that and like i said a little bit ago i could definitely see a major league team taking a look at him because i think at the very least He deserves a shot in MILB. I think think he could definitely help out there in some regard. Now, obviously, you want to get to major leagues when you're in the Indy Leagues. So, I'd assume he would take the shot, but who knows. Uh, Regardless, still, I think he deserves at least the opportunity to get to that level.
1: I think so as well. I mean, he talked about all those guys, Pelfrey and others, who were his friends and have now moved into... Uh, aff- affiliated situations, affiliated teams. And so that makes a lot of sense to me to have a guy like that who's so connected, uh, clearly a people person, clearly understands the, uh, human side of baseball, right? I mean, the, that is, and certainly if, if you're looking for a guy to help kind of move along your young players, like you said put an arm around some guys and and be that mentor figure he seems to be someone who who can fill that mold pretty pretty nicely so it might be someone worthwhile for these teams to look at and i, I really would wouldn't be surprised in the least if he winds up in some type of affiliated situation uh, in the next year or two down the line especially as you know the uh, as the affiliated leagues get Pared down and trimmed down, and you know, you're going to start needing guys who are top professionals to be there, and you're going to need these guys, these um, coaches who really understand how to develop talent and develop players. I think you could really get a look because you're not going to have as much room to develop players in a, a smaller affiliated system.
0: Spot on there, but you did hit on something that I want to jump on, which is him understanding the game of baseball for more than just on the field, what it means. As a larger perspective, how he understands how independent league baseball is a great kind of jumping off point for a lot of guys. I mean, you mentioned Pelfrey, but also there's Cam Roth, there's Tony Smith, there's a slew of other guys, Craig Maddox, we had on the show that all transitioned from playing and player coaching in independent league ball. To, you know, the MILB level and how it's a jump spring for there. In the interview, Palfrey mentions how he had, I believe it was Henderson Alvarez, Tim Melville, and Quinton Berry. I believe were the three that maybe, oh, and I want to say it was like David Artsma. I want to say it was the third guy, but I don't recall the the, uh, third pitcher. Regardless, the four guys that he had in Long Island in 17 that went from, you know, Long Island to MLB the same year. And yeah. how he understands how you can use independent league baseball to get back there, or just to get there the first time. That and also how he understands how indie ball means a lot to the communities as well. How this is their opportunity to see professional baseball. That yeah. for a lot of the kids that go to these games in you know High Point, in Sioux City, in I'll you know, pick your location where you want it to be, Fargo, Moorhead. This is their major league experience. Nothing makes their day more than having a player sign a baseball for him or throw him a ball or whatever it may be. Just going to the ballpark. This is this is their experience because they just can't get to a major league ballpark. Right. And it just he understands what it means on a larger sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He understands that wide ranging aspect that is why independent league baseball is so important and that's why I think he really is a crucial cog in the success of high point really do think that he um, is an essential piece there. Uh, and and they will need him uh, as they continue to try to go against some of these Goliaths in the Atlantic league, Whenever the season does resume because, you know, Somerset and long Island after having some time to really think about things and craft things. And in um, during this period of quarantine, whenever baseball resumes, they're going to be a roaring to go.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. It's going to be, I mean, he's probably in the toughest division as far as independent leagues go. Uh, I know my top 10 and your top 10 probably, when we get to discussing that in a little bit, are going to maybe reflect something a little bit different than that. But uh, as far as last season goes, we're just basing it off of that. Uh, That was an extremely hard-fought division. Uh, All four teams in it were tough, but I mean, the three teams that come back this year in High Point, Long Island, and Somerset, are they're all... They're battlers. They're they're not going to be any easy games between those three teams.
1: There will not be. Yep, I agree, hundred percent.
0: Yep. Uh, just a couple of other things I want to touch on in the interview. Uh, you could definitely tell that Hell uh, and Ear, especially, but even Stan Clyburn, those are two very big influences on Billy. He's like a sponge. He absorbed a lot of them. I mean, he even said the two years in Ottawa taught me so much. It, they were probably the two most influential years I had. Tell that. That a lot of his style and managing a club directly comes from these, you know, kind of older guys that have been around the game for a while. I mean, obviously, if you're modeling yourself after a guy that, you know, managed in the show for quite some time and then a guy like Frank Viola, too, and even Stan Clyburn. I mean, if you're a Clyburn, if you're managing or modeling after them, that's a pretty good template to go off of.
1: Absolutely. I mean, yeah, those two guys were definitely big influences on him. And, and you know, he talked about uh, Frank Viola uh, being there and, you know, how well they got along. And that's another thing to me that was really interesting is that, you know, all of these guys get along. So well. he seems to really have good things to say about everyone, both on the high point staff, but really everybody that he's worked with. And it makes uh, to me, it seems like he's a very positive guy who's oh he's really looking for the, uh, the good things in people and, and really looking uh, is a guy who I could see working well with a large number of organizations and different types of people.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think also just as an aspect of being that positive guy and being very approachable, you want a guy like that there on a coaching staff. Just as oh, yeah. a co- It's just a certain culture there you understand there is someone there in your corner. They they want you to succeed, and that's the kind of support you need to succeed. Although there's also enough understanding here that, you know, you have to perform to your job.
1: Right. I mean, absolutely, 100%. I mean, there's, there's an expectation of professionality. He talks about it. Uh, he talks about it right there and i think that's so important but also he understands that these are people and yeah. that you're dealing with human beings and you have to deal with them in a, in a, in a way that is respectful to them and, but also understanding of that you've got a job to do and if you can't do the job you're going to be gone so i think that there's a you know a difficult line to toe sometimes and he seems to have a really good grasp of that
0: oh 100 there plus you've mentions you know you got to You got to keep positivity, but you also have to be very straightforward with guys. You don't want to, you know, jerk them around one way and then the other. You want to tell them, look, this is what you need to do. If you can't do it, then we're going to have to move on from you. But let's try and keep things going. Let's try and be positive about it. I mean, he especially hit the positivity angle when I discussed with him the the rule change. You put it in the positive light, and that's what you got to do. You got to keep a positive mindset about it because, I mean, what's your other option? Saying, oh, uh, the rules are changing. They're screwing us over. Why even bother? No, that's not that's not a positive mindset. That's <laughs> not a good thing to say. You got to go, okay, the game changed a bit. Let's try and take advantage of these rules, and let's see what we can do here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's exactly, just for those reasons, he's the kind of guy that I could see managing uh, somewhere very, very soon at a higher level.
0: 100% there, but then I just want to kind of talk a little bit uh two other things. The meta prospect bit I feel like it's important to mention, and also just how he kind of builds a roster and what he looks for in players I think is something that's interesting to talk about. As far as building a roster, i found that it made a lot of sense of the things that he looks at. As far as walks, strikeouts, hits allowed, but most importantly, innings pitched. Getting the sample size is obviously extremely important. Uh, you need to have that so that way you know how genuine these other stats are. If a guy's throwing 20 innings, obviously it's not very reliable those numbers while if a guy's thrown like 55 60 innings okay now they're a lot more trustworthy for a reliever at least uh, as for a starter you obviously want more innings than that but even still i found uh, i found that those stats made sense as far as not really going off of you know analytics i think that's the thing that's going to throw a lot of people off like oh why doesn't he care about analytics but when you think about it, it makes sense in independent league baseball
1: yeah, I'll I'll start with the first point. Yeah. the first point is absolutely hit the nail on the head. He is looking for things that you know our, our old school scouts would look for: innings pitched, and you know just really understanding the intricate uh, details within the, you know the pitcher themselves, and you know the larger sample size that's there, the larger body of work. Then you know that you're more reliable with those numbers. Uh, so clearly, with that point, he's making. A really informed decision to sign a guy if he's got, you know, 200, 300 innings pitched opposed to a guy who maybe, like you said, had a cup of coffee, pitched 10, 15 innings and didn't really, doesn't really tell you too much. But in regard to the analytics, for independent league baseball, you really can't use analytics. The spin rate, these kind of things, they are projectors, right? They're things that project what potentially may happen. Right, but if a guy's like he says, the guy's hitting two ten, but he's got a great exit velo, that's phenomenal. Maybe, and you made a good point. You said, you know, a guy in three years could be phenomenal, and he even admitted, yeah, sure, I've missed on some guys because you know maybe their exit velo was. Uh, you know part was great but they really didn't have the statistics up until that point so for me i really think that it it makes sense in the scope of independent league baseball because these guys are moving in and out so fast we've seen it i mean how many times have we seen it you know a guy gets signed we say this is gonna be a great signing and maybe he even performs well and then he's gone you know so it's just right i mean it's just such a transient thing there's so many moving parts moving pieces that to be like uh, oh yes let me see what he's going to project out to 3 years down the road based upon his exit velocity it is just ridiculous it's just something that wouldn't work uh within the scope of what independent league baseball is right now for the minor leagues that makes a ton of sense because you could sign a guy have him play you know 2 3 years in double triple a and if he if he does phenomenal if he turns out to be you know, his exit below turns out turns out to be a great indicator for his batting average in three years, then great. Then you've got a three hundred hitter who maybe makes it to the big leagues. But if you, but yeah, and if he flops, he flops. He's just like anybody else. But if <laughs> if Billy Horn signs a guy and he flops, he only has a certain window of time, and that's going to be on Billy Horn if he can't win games because he, you know, got a guy based off great exit deal. Of.
0: Exactly. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. At the end of the day, is it comes down to winning. And you bring up the good point. In a standard affiliated minor league, you have time. You kind of expect to sign a guy that shows a lot of promise that we're not going to see him for two, three, four, five years. If you sign a kid that's like 21, 22, coming out of college, they're probably not going to make their major league debut until they're like, 26 27 28 that's just the reality of it especially if they show some promise you want to develop them as much as you can and make sure they're ready for when they come up and in independent league ball you're not really getting that well sure their metrics may be great and you would like i said in the interview you'd love to have both a guy with great potential and guys that can win right now you don't yeah. have that luxury you have the luxury of having 25 guys in your roster in the atlantic league 23 in in other leagues so you gotta make each one of those spots work. Plus, it's the reality of for every guy that you have that's not pulling their weight, is another guy down that roster you have. And it's not like you could just send them down yep. to another league and then call them back up when when you think they figured it out. It's you got about 10 to 14 days to figure it out. And if you don't, then we gotta let you go because we need to get somebody new in. So if your choices are someone that has proven results that are you know let's call them a c grade player that's proven c grade results or a guy that's producing at an e level but has the potential to be a b level player you're going to take the guy that you know you're going to take the c because it's the safer bet and the more you lose the more your job's on the line in affiliate Myers, if you go 20 and 60 it's not as big of a deal because quite frankly you're Your job is to develop players. Your job is not to win in the independent leagues. Your job is first and foremost to win. That—that's what you're. That's what you're paid to do: is to win games, not develop players. Because there's no. Who are you developing them for? A team that's going to buy their contract for like twenty grand, like. Uh, your job is to win and put the best product on the field as you can because having good product is one of the major elements to getting people in the ballpark to keep the lights on it's just that's how that works and so i know there's going to be some people that go oh with all the analytics and stuff you want that you don't really acquire players based on that if you acquire guys with good analytics and they're good players even better i mean you want the analytics in indie ball mainly to help sell the player to an affiliated club that's the analytic value here it's valuable for oh. players cuz it helps them pitch themselves obviously to affiliate minors too but as far as making an indie roster they don't they don't really matter
1: right 100% and and that's the that's the you know and that's the issue right i mean like if you if people don't come to the ballpark people don't if you don't win people don't come to the ballpark if you, if you sign a guy who's got a throws 97 and has a phenomenal spin rate and was a first round pick people are going to go to watch that guy They'll go and watch him every fifth day that he pitches. If he's a starter, they'll go and watch him, you know, yeah. and they're not going to go to an indie ball. They're not there to see one guy uh, f- normally. Um, no. you know, there's people, you're right. Ricky Henderson, you talked about with the bears. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's people. Yeah. Ricky, there's, there's, Matt
0: Latos, guys like
1: that. Right. Yeah. Guys like that. It happens. But I'm saying the vast majority of guys that haven't had a ton of, uh, MLB experience and success, you know, they're, they don't really, you know, the average fan just doesn't really pay attention to those minute things. Now they care how the team's doing. They want to go watch the team that they're rooting for win. So that's why they're there. And so. The, for the casual fan in, in the independent leagues, it's far different than the casual fan in the minor leagues, who are oftentimes way more interested in the little details of oh, well, this guy might make it to, uh, especially for AAA teams. My God, I mean, even AA. We, I saw you know I watched a, you know a game in Harrisburg with the Harrisburg Senators. There are people there who are talking about, oh, this guy and his spin rate and his, his ERA and his launch angle and all these different really high level analytics. uh, And they're talking about, this is going to project to this at the MLB level, because that's what they're interested in, in, in in that type of setting Mm -hmm. in just a you know independent league setting no one cares there's no there's no the next level is whatever team whatever you know it is it has nothing to do with these fans they don't care about the next level they care about that producing on that given day and that's why his approach is not is completely correct in my opinion
0: 100 percent. i mean it makes sense there all the way around i know some people are going to make the argument of oh well and helps you find the diamond in the rough Well, that's all well and good, again, for a major league team. When you're looking across other professional leagues where you're trying to find the advanced numbers for And again, you can afford to have a guy struggle with the advanced numbers. You can play Moneyball on the major league level because you can afford to have a guy struggle and not work out. Because you can pay guys that you know will work out to compensate for them. So you can take the chance on the diamond, the rough guys. And again, on the independent level, it's not the same way. You don't take the same approach. There's a lot of different things that go into it. And again, having the numbers, it's great. That may be kind of cool. But if, again, like you said, if you have a great spin rate and you throw hard, that's all well and good. But if you don't hit the strike zone, it doesn't mean much. Yeah, right. If, you're, if you
1: can't be effective coming into a game, especially as a reliever, if you're just walking guys, no team like he said no team is going to sign you sorry <laughs> you know like sorry it's just not going to happen and no independent league team has the time to develop that type of diamond in the rough player. And oftentimes, the diamond in the rough players who get signed in the independent leagues are the guys who have consistently hit 250 their entire careers, but they're hard workers, they bust their ass, and they're good defensively. And then they get signed, they've hit 250, you know, kind of average kind of guys, and then they have a great season. <clears throat> From Sugarland last year uh Gian Santi the year before he's that type of guy right yep. he's that if you're going to say a diamond in the rough he's that kind of guy who works hard you know really good glue guy in the in the locker room really good guy works really hard Gets and gets somewhere where he's successful, has a great year, as opposed to you know the good years he's had in the past, and that's how you find a diamond in the rough in independent league baseball, as opposed to a guy who's super talented. Um, and and that is more of that affiliated MLB mold where he's just uber talented, but he you know doesn't hasn't put it all together yet, and then he puts it all together when he gets to X, Y, or Z place in affiliated ball under the
0: major leagues. Yeah, it, that's just how it works here. It's the hard numbers that matter. I mean, you could just take a look at the numerous bullpen guys across the board in the Atlantic League that are the same case. You know, they have their sub-3 ERAs, and they pitch a shit ton of innings, and they produce there. I mean, take a look at Somerset's rotation from last year. Kubiak's one of those guys, just oh, yeah. dominated. Rick Teasley, he threw a perfect game and lost, which honestly is rare as hell to do, which... It I mean, is. That also speaks volumes about Somerset's offense. If you have a yeah, dude literally throw a perfect game, allow, I think it was two hits in total, and then lose one-nothing. Yeah, that that's, speaks that's, volumes. Yes. Yeah, that's really...
1: Thank God, that's really bad.
0: Just one final point on the construction of the roster. I also like how he said, we picked up a lot of speed guys for this year because we know now yeah. it's going to be a lot easier to steal bases with pickoff rule. Yep. I thought that was interesting too, where he's like, look, you got to play the rules. So the rules say that we can steal more easily, then we're going to pick up more speed, guys, so we can steal more easily. Which I do also like here that it seems like the rule changes too. The entirety of them, and I was thinking this through over the last few days, each of these rule changes, is basically a giant fu to analytics. Because yeah. analytics say stealing's bad, don't go for stealing. Shifting's good, shift into place. <laughs> so what do they do? Make it easier to steal bases, incentivize you to steal bases and kill the shift so that way you can't really shift
1: right and i mean i think you know these that's why it, that's why some of these rule changes i think are good because if you become too overly reliant on analytics and that's how we start we start playing baseball is just based off of a purely analytical strategy i think you really lose a lot of what makes the game great a lot of what I think makes the game great. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right, though. Back to back to Billy Horn. Yeah. His point is really solid, and we've talked about it on the show before. If you're going to have teams who, uh, because of the lead, the rules, teams need to adjust. And this is just him adapting. This is, you know, what if you can steal, it, you, there's no pickoff. We talked about it. There's zero chance that a right hander is going to be able to get somebody out, you know, <laughs> or even a left hander now because because of the way the pickoff moves and the new rules are. So because of that, Hey, let's pick up some speed guys and let's get going. Let's steal, you know, let's have some guys steal 20, 30 bases. us let's see if we can do that. Um, And I think that really could wind up stealing some runs and ultimately makes high point a a really, again, just adaptable team. That is a, a destination for a lot of guys to go to. I think it's quickly becoming one of the top destinations in the Atlantic league. You know, you got new facilities, uh, you got a great coaching staff in place.
0: A really nice you know, city, I, too, there. I mean, it's certainly an upcoming city in North Carolina.
1: Absolutely, an upcoming city in North Carolina. you got the college, you got all that stuff there. I mean, hey, they're, uh, that seems like as good a, it's starting to be as good a spot as some of the, the places in the Atlantic League we consider some of the top spots.
0: Oh, 100%. It's definitely becoming a spot for independent league baseball in general. But I think I wanted oh, yeah. to touch on one thing you said there. I saw in addition that they are very adaptable. The roster construction is great. But I do think it sounds like we're ragging on analytics a lot. And that's not the case. Analytics do have their place. They are valuable, especially at oh, a major league level. They tell yeah. you a lot of information. And there's a lot of times where if you just ignore them, you're going to do poorly. There's a reason they exist. and Calling them analytics is almost kind of deceiving. They're just kind of advanced information. It tells right. you more about a player and when you have to come down to, you know, every tenth of a run is worth a lot because it could change the outcome of a game and the outcome of a season and the outcomes of millions of dollars, then, yeah, they have a very big place here, and ignoring them outright is stupid. But at the same time, I agree with what you said. You become overly reliant on it. It makes the game robotic. It makes the game not fun. I know I got into some little spats on Twitter, and me and Will were going back and forth uh, this week about how I'm vehemently anti-DH. We don't need to dig into that fight again. We did that on episode two uh, <laughs> because I know we have different viewpoints on it. But my main argument with the DH is it kills the fun. I the half the fun of National League Baseball is watching a pitcher hit. I'm not going to sit here and say Zach Greinke is as good of a batter as any DH. He's not. But I will say watching a DH hit a home run, it's just a home run. Watching Zach Grinke hit a home run, it's a pitcher hitting a home run, and that's infinitesimally, or infinitely, it's infinitely better. It's more exciting, it's more unexpected, it is just making the game more fun. And at the end of the day, I understand there's a business element to it, and it's heavily business, especially at that high of a level, but it's still a game. It's still meant to be fun. I'm not tuning in to watch this because I got because I'm gambling on it, because I have business interests on it. No, I'm just a fan, especially at the major league level. I'm just a fan that's tuning in to watch it because I enjoy to watch the game because it's more fun. And while statistically speaking, having a pitcher hit instead of having a, a different, more specialized hitter is a statistically speaking bad move and bad decision, it's also just not fun to me. It's not exciting to watch. And like I said, I forget where, but I said it somewhere. If the difference between making the playoffs and not making the playoffs was having a DH bat for a pitcher, I'd rather not make the playoffs and enjoy watching an 80-win team more than watching a 90-win team with a DH. Just because I I tune in throughout 162 games to watch a fun team. I don't tune in to watch them win. I tune in to have fun. It's entertainment.
1: Right. And that's why it's a, that's a great argument for why Atlanta, uh, analytics is really something that needs to be tamped down. And I think Major League Baseball is doing a good job of that because if it becomes robotic, I mean, you know, Yankee fans will know. A lot of people look at Aaron Boone who's not so much as a manager, is more of just a kind of a, a filter between the analytics and the field. And he just kind of does what the analytics suggests and that's it. Um, you know, and so and as opposed to someone who manages more off instincts, which is kind of an older type manager idea, and I think you can combine the two. I don't think you need to be someone who's just so analytics focused, um, that you forget that there are, there is a human element to baseball, but I don't also, I also think you need to have kind of that, uh, you need to have the information, you need to have the data, you'll be behind the eight ball if you don't. Now, on to the DH thing. You're right, we do have somewhat a uh, opposing viewpoints on it, but I, I, have softened my stance, especially as it's become more of a reality that the that MLB is starting to, to look to get rid of it. I think it's just, like you said, it, it has entertainment value. Hit, seeing Bartolo Colon hit a home run. I mean, that was a highlight for so many fans. I mean, myself in particular, I love watching it, you know, it's just, so, you know, yes. Is it from a business perspective from different perspectives, does it make more sense to have the DH? Of course. But from the entertainment and fan perspective, which is why baseball exists, so there can be fans, Mm. um, I think that, uh, uh, I think 100 percent that you're right. That the you know leave things as they are. We are in enough upheaval at this point. My, am, am I only saying I'll, I'll leave this as it is? My only take on the whole them switching the DH now now is not the time. Society is in enough upheaval and enough you know craziness going on right now with the virus that we do not need uh, MLB to get rid of the, to add the DH in into the National League, which you know so many National League fans like you. So really enjoy seeing pitchers hit and not having that dh and you know what if that's something that fans enjoy leave it you know just leave it
0: that now so it's one of those quirky things about baseball baseball is a quirky yeah. sport in that you never know what day a record from 1913 with like the st louis browns are going <laughs> what record that day is going to fall or that only three other times in the history of major league baseball has a runner got hit a pop fly that was dropped and then came around to score on the following up bat with a 3 and 2 count. Like right. there's so many nuances and little quirky things about baseball, even just down to how every field has different dimensions is so much different from every other sport and the DH is one of those things. And just like I don't care if it exists in the AL. AL fans enjoy it, they're used to it. Great. NL fans don't want it. And quite frankly, what? I think and it may just be a bit apocalyptic. I think Manfred's end goal here, and again, we'll jump right back onto the final point I want to make about the interview before we go into all the other stuff for today. But I think Manfred's end goal is to wind up killing off the difference between America and National League. I think we're going to, within the next 15 years, see Major League Baseball turn to a split between East and West. You'll realign the division so that way it's geographical-based. There'll be a uniform set of rules, and that's just how it'll be. It'll turn to another American sports league. And they'll give the example of, oh, well, if you go with the two New York teams, Philadelphia and Boston in one division, you'll create more of a regional rivalry. Plus, you'll still keep the Met-Philly rivalry and the Yankee-Red Sox rivalry, and you may start a new one, too. And they'll go off of that. And while, yeah, if it was some random league starting, I wouldn't care. And I'd say, yeah, that makes sense. If it was any other league, yeah, it makes sense. But at this point, no. It's been this way since what? The nineteen twenties? Where yeah. you don't you don't mess with that. That's why the World Series was such a big thing for so long. You you wouldn't have interleague play. It would be right. okay, they're basically two separate leagues just under one branding. And then yeah. you the only time you are gonna see is the All Star game, which is why the All Star game's like a big deal. And uh-huh. two why the world series was such a big deal you it was genuinely like how the super Bowls, so the like the super bowl was when it started where it's like okay we're gonna see which league is the better league now i just i personally i don't like the way it's trending and i understand what they're trying to do with it i understand you're trying to create more offense you're trying to create more exciting plays here but i think you have to just admit The kind of people that like baseball are going to like baseball the way it is. You're not going to draw too many new fans in with screwing with the game like you are.
1: Right. I mean, baseball is a classic American sport, right? I mean, it is the classic American sport. And there's not a whole lot of, you know, wiggle room there. People who are baseball fans generally, you know, they grow up baseball fans. Their parents were baseball fans. Their parents' parents were baseball fans. I mean, you know, baseball is one of those things that is so woven into American culture that to change it in the ways that, as you suggest, might be down the pike would be something uh, terrible, uh, in my opinion. And and I'm not saying, you know, we have to keep everything the way it was, you know, back in the old days. No, I'm not talking about that. But I'm saying that baseball is such a foundational American sport that, you know, to to realign things in a dramatic way and, and get rid of things that people really like and enjoy and care about, like, uh, having pitchers hit is, you know, silly. And it's just something that, you know, it, it ultimately, if it becomes too monetized, which, you know, someone it already has, um, in terms of, you know, not caring about the play, uh, not caring about the fan experience, really only caring about, uh, you know, what helps the bottom line. I think it would be really unfortunate for major league baseball to do, but they've, we've seen them, you know, this is not, it's not, it's a move they're making with the affiliated leagues and it's a move they've made again and again. So, I mean, the only thing I can say is that I hope that something happens and there's a trend back in the other direction, but to tie it back to the last point of the interview. Yeah. I mean, you know, Billy Horn is really on top of it, on top of these rule changes and also seems to be a guy who's, Uh, you know really uh,
0: understands
1: the game of baseball and and understands like you said kind of that fan experience that we've been talking about a little bit here
0: exactly he understands the importance of plays in the community and uh, like i said he he knows how to construct a roster and take advantage of the rules that he's given with so that's definitely true and then the last point i want to hit before we totally transition off with despite our like 10 minute long tangent which i think was pretty good it's just this meet a prospect element i think it's very cool it reminded me a lot of the prospect dugout that craig mass talked about a couple weeks back but i think the major difference here is that he sees this expanding into other sports and what i really find important about uh, the a prospect is it helps like the first time parents that are going through it for the first time when their kids are getting recruited by colleges and they're not really sure what to do. What's an NCAA violation? Can I get a agent type official to represent my kid? How do I send my tape out? Right, is this a fair price that these groups are charging? How exactly do I how does my kid market himself or herself to, you know, get scouted, to get a scholarship, to move to that next step in their athletic career? And I thought the Meet a Prospect does that. They kind of help give a platform. And again, I think it kinda of goes from or it stems from uh, Billy's desire to kind of be that mentor figure to show, okay, this is how you do it. This is what you do. And obviously it does. It's not exactly that there's differences there, but I think it's a good first step for a lot of people going through that kind of process the first time.
1: I agree. I think really that is where it has room to expand uh, in many ways because look, it's, it's difficult. If you want to figure out, I'm sure there's so much talent that is lost because people just don't know how to navigate these kind of difficult situations. I mean, I'll be honest. I don't think it's easy <laughs> to get recruited and it's not easy. I mean, if you're not the most talented top tier five-star recruit, um, then, you know, it's, it's, it's not always easy to get the eyeballs on you, especially if you live in a rural area uh, or somewhere that doesn't have the resources, uh, inner city community that doesn't have the resources to, you know, kind of uh, show you what what to do, how these young people can move forward and really kind of get to where they want to be, and and get the scholarships, and and even if it's like into anything, it makes sense to have somebody there. And I, I like that Billy is doing this. I think this is a really good. You know, he talked about using Facebook Messenger and and really integrating it in ways that make it very accessible. It sounds very accessible to me. It sounds like something that everybody can use. Um, And I like the idea of I also like the name, right? Meet a prospect. I like that a lot, too. Um, I just think it seems to be something that could be very successful uh, moving forward.
0: Oh, absolutely. I definitely agree with that. And it's something that's very interesting. And again, everyone should go with and at very least look it up on whatever social media you're on. And if you're a player, definitely think about uh, joining up with that. I mean, it's just as simple as joining a Facebook group or following him on Instagram. And I'm sure if you have any questions, you could just DM them and he'll get right back to you and answer them wholeheartedly. And so with that, uh, I'm not sure if you have anything else left you want to say about the interview or not, but I think we're just about set to move on
1: yeah just about set to move on only thing i wanted to say is just wanted to thank him for coming on um, really a great interview would love to have him again anytime that he would like to uh, come on the show
0: oh absolutely billy is more than welcome anytime i really enjoy talking with him and again I, I can't stress how nice of a guy he is he really is a nice guy a very genuine guy and he definitely uh, wants the best for his players and and the people that are kind of under him so uh, again thanks yeah. for coming on and we do appreciate you uh heading on to the show. All right, so with that said, we'll move on to our first and really only major news topic. There's a couple of little rundown things after our top 10 list, but uh, this is of some importance, I guess. The Frontier League start date I have. Nothing's concrete. We know last week I got a a rumor that they're going to be starting training camp in June, probably, or possibly, possibly starting the season in July. I doubt that. I doubt very heavily. There's nothing to really tell me this. There's no confirmation about this. I don't believe that's happening. However, we did see yesterday Lake Erie released a statement about their opening day because yesterday was supposed to be their opening day. Uh, and they referenced three direct possibilities a July start and August start, which is the first we heard of that, and no baseball. Yeah. Uh, I think we're both on the same page and thinking that no baseball is still probably, unfortunately, the most likely. However, yep. I was curious to know what you would think of an August start.
1: See, an August start would be interesting. Um, the the biggest issue to me is the second wave, right? Like, do we yeah. get a second wave? In the, you know, I mean, we don't we don't seem to be completely done with the first wave yet. Um, but I think the the second wave, you know, really is, could be something that's uh, equally as different. If not more so. So, I think that, you know, I like the idea of maybe trying a really condensed schedule and, uh, you know, doing social distancing in the ballpark uh, as much as possible and trying to get some games in in August. If there's a really low, you know, if we, we really get rid of a lot of these cases and, you know, we're seeing not too many new cases, uh, then it might be something worth giving a shot. Um, but, uh, again, I think we've talked about it before. The operating costs of only being open for a few games in August, uh, maybe into, you know, yeah. September, October. But I mean, most likely it would probably just be you know, August because then you have to deal with that second wave. Um, but, it, you know, if, if we're talking about, you know... Uh, Operating cost-wise, it would be very difficult to do this type of shortened season. Unfortunately, again, as you, you pointed out, I think the likelihood is that we probably won't have baseball yet uh, in 2020, maybe uh, 2021, but certainly 2020, I think, is very much still uh, you know, improbable at this point. Certainly not impossible, but improbable. Um, but yeah. if it does happen, the August start could be something where uh you know you have a really condensed schedule and maybe you don't have playoffs or something uh, it's just a way to get guys uh playing and get people into the ballpark maybe but uh i don't know if yeah i don't know if i don't know if it could work
0: yeah no I, honestly i think even if you want to run like a 40 game schedule starting in the beginning of august and going through september and then maybe doing a one-round playoff or like you suggest maybe just regular season champions or champion that year i don't think that's great uh like you said we're still kind of in the first wave here and even if you want to say okay we're just about at the end of it there's no real way of knowing that for certain without more testing and the fact there's not more testing and more importantly more reliable testing makes it a major issue so until you have a widespread testing system that's highly reliable with a quick turnaround time it really doesn't mean much and i mean you could say oh well like two days is pretty quick yeah if you were doing just like a simple blood test or something but when it's something that's so contagious that can spread so quickly and easily you need that turnaround time to be more like 15 20 minutes not 24 hours so right. until you have that kind of rapid response that has i'd say an accuracy rate of over 80 percent you really can't say where we're at so And what also makes difficult is apparently now you don't really have any sort of immunity once you get it. You have anywhere from two months to, I think it was like six months of immunity, depending on how bad it was. So it's realistic to suggest if you had this were asymptomatic when they first started in, say, March, you could again now be vulnerable to get it. And you can't really risk that. And like you said, with the second wave, I think it'd be a bit naive to believe that we're just going to get hit once and not again. I mean, you're seeing in China now, now they're reporting up the beginnings of a second wave. And with the way the Chinese state kind of locks things down, if that's getting out, then you have to assume it's going to happen again across the world, wherever they got it before. Y- what makes the U.S. really any different from that? Who wants to say, we're not going to get hit harder, especially now that states are reopening? And if you want to say, oh, well, if we wait a little bit longer, and then we start to do all the reopening and stuff in July, and then it's all well and good, Well, then right when everyone's fully getting back in the swing and getting more comfortable going out again, it's going to be September, October, right when everybody starts to do indoor activities in close space to each other, right when a second wave would hit at the beginning of flu season. So it's probably going to be worse than that, just kind of going off the information we're told and just kind of using the past as a reference. So if you're going to say, okay, we are going to get a second wave, it's probably going to get worse. What makes us believe that independent league baseball, that again needs fans and attendance to play games to make it remotely close to viable, will be able to start up in August as opposed to July? I don't really think that 30-day grace period there is going to make much of a difference.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't think so either. You make really good points. Yeah, all we can do is wait and see at this point. Obviously. You know, we're in a really difficult situation. Uh, we appreciate the optimism from these leagues and these teams, but it's uh, it's a difficult a difficult road ahead, it seems.
0: A hundred percent. So I think with that, that's just about all that we said. I put down a note on how you'd reopen baseball, but this is already going to be a long episode trying to compensate for last week. We can move that topic to next week. It'll give us something to discuss because, again, I don't really see much news coming in the next uh, seven days. So. No, I don't think so either. <laughs> All right, so we could either do the kind of run through of the other uh, news things I wanted to touch on quickly first, or we could do the top ten first. Your call. Uh,
1: we'll do the let's do the top ten first, and then we'll do the run through, uh, and then we'll get out
0: of here. Yeah, right. So a couple weeks back, I mentioned I posted my top ten for what should have been the start of the indie ball season. Now, when I posted that, got some flack. Some people didn't like the choice they put there. Some people were shocked at the teams I left off. Some people thought some teams were too low. And some thought some teams were too high. So I said, we'll discuss it on the podcast. Then we kind of ran out of time. We moved it to the following week. Then the following week, both of us just kind of forgot to mention it. So now we finally got into it here. So I'm going to run through my top 10 for those that didn't see it or forgot about it. I'll kind of discuss each of my points I'm sure you'll feel free to chime in if you feel that a point needs to be made or you want to add on to something I said. And sure. then we'll get to your top 10 after that, and do, you'll do the same thing, and I'll do the same thing. And I think uh, we'll be all set on that front. Sounds good. All right, so I'll start at the top here. Uh, my number one team, and it's just kind of coincidence we had their bench coach on this week, uh, was was High Point. I graded them an A+. There's I, I love everything about it. I love their staff. I think Jamie Key, Frank Viola are just A-plus at their job. Obviously, having Billy Horn on your staff helps with player acquisition, too. Uh, there really is no weak spot, as far as I could tell. Uh, they addressed the one area where I thought they could use some help, which is behind the plate. By picking up Logan Moore, they added guys like Mike Carp, Darren Ford. Mike Reynolds is a guy I really like, so having him on there, too. They brought back guys like Lattimore. And obviously their bullpen is just knockout there. They're so, everything about their bullpen is great. I Again, I just really don't see any downside here. They didn't stay stagnant. They improved, but they also brought back some key pieces. And for that alone, I really do like them, especially when I look at the rest of their division. Uh, The Atlantic League on a whole is always a great league, but they're in that very tough division too. And I think they're the best team in that division. So if we're going to say that's the best division in independent league baseball, then that alone means I have to put them at number one. Um, anything to add with High Point there?
1: So, you know, I, I mean, I agree. High Point's my, uh, my number two. Okay. But I certainly think that I agree that uh, High Point is going to come out of the gate strong. They're going to be great all the way through. Uh, all the reasons you just talked about, certainly all the reasons that um, – you brought up in the interview. I mean, there's no, there's seemingly not too many weak links. Um, the only thing is, like you said, the division they play in. I think that uh, I'm not willing to count out the defending champs uh, just yet. I think uh, Long Island may have the slight upper hand on them moving forward, uh, just an off organizational structure and riding off of that. Obviously, repeating is very difficult, but I do think Long Island might be able to do it.
0: You're at. So I'll move on to my number two. I have Sioux City at my number two spot here. Well, yeah, they're not an Atlantic League team, and there may be some flack for that. Again, we spent a whole segment on an episode just covering everything they did. I love their bullpen. I love it. Uh, they also addressed any sort of offensive concerns. They bring so much quality offense there that's really solid. Uh, Steve Montgomery is a very good manager as well. Outside of that, the staff is so-so, in my opinion, at least. And they do have a couple of not great batters that are going to be starting regularly. But even still, great team, by far best in the American Association. I rated them an A for that. And quite frankly, I, I've almost put them at one because I really, really love that bullpen. That bullpen is so good. It is a
1: good bullpen. It really yes. I mean, Sioux City is a great team. Um, they definitely are... Uh... Worthy of being uh, being in, in, in the conversation for the best team. There's no doubt. Yeah.
0: Uh, number three, I go and this that kicks off my long stream of American Association teams. I go with Kansas City in there at the three spot. Again, Kelce Prietra, I love him as a manager. I think he's a really solid guy. Jackal fans will remember him. Uh, I also love their bats. They have some really really solid bats. They also picked up some guys from uh, Sussex too, like Frank Duncan, who I really love as a pitcher. There's a, some really solid elements there, and some guys that I really think have a high ceiling that are going to really explode on the scene this year if we play. In my opinion, so I put them at three there. However, I could be dissuaded on that. They were they were kind of a lower tier three at least, but still I give them an A. Solid team there.
1: Yeah, I think they'll be a solid team. You know, I don't I don't know about three, but certainly uh, certainly they're they're in the running there. They're in the running.
0: Yep. Uh, at four, I have Clayburn. They added some really solid pieces. They're pretty solid just about everywhere. Uh, Rick Teasley being the largest addition in my mind to them, but they also added a couple other really key pieces. So I'm again, I really do like Claiborne and that spot. A minus for them. Uh, going yeah. Do that, yeah. Uh, going to number five, I have Winnipeg. A B plus. Uh, I just see an awful lot of potentials and a high floor for them. Again, I really, really like what they did adding some nice pitching staff members uh both from the atlantic league and from the can-am they also poached a lot of guys from uh, three rivers from last year i say poached like they just kind of snatched them from a team but they did trade <laughs> for them but they did they acquired a lot of really good guys i believe dominic maz is one of them and yep. i'm a big fan of a lot of those pitchers they grab so i think from a pitching staff perspective very good and also they do return some very quality uh infielding and outfielding guys too i think they're also very solid in that regard
1: yeah, i agree with that 100 yeah they, they, they brought, brought back some guys and definitely added some really good
0: pieces uh, number six i have long island i also put them as a b plus i put them down here at the sixth spot just because there really is no change uh, they didn't really add anyone i see as like this huge monumentally game-changing piece but again they just returned most of their staff with the exception of a guy like, say, David Washington, who went to Milwaukee. There's a couple other guys that left, but they replaced them fairly well. Again, they're Long Island. I expect for them to be good. A B-plus for them, just because there really is not much change. Right.
1: Uh, Okay,
0: so we go to number seven here. The B team I have here, the first New Jersey team on this list uh, in Somerset. Uh, again, I, I think their pitching staff, as far as anyone's concerned, is probably the best in independent league baseball. However, that's only half the game. And as we saw last year, you could have a perfect game and still lose. They just really have no bats. Like uh, They have Will Kenger. That's really cool. I like Will. Uh, I think he's a solid batter. Uh, Jan Hernandez, again, a nice bat. Nice little addition yep. there. Outside of that, don't really see much. Uh, Paredes is kind of cool. I mean he did all right. Obviously he had a, a he started halfway through the year cuz of visa issues. But even still, I just I don't love any real bad on that team. If you're banking on Hernandez doing really well and that Kenger's going to replicate last year and Paredes is going to do better than last year, then you're really banking on a lot of ifs there and if there's really only 3 guys that you have to worry about on that whole lineup there, so figure here two through four hitter that's not really great if one of them does poorly then it's it's an issue so i just i see too many weak spots with bats to rank them higher than seven
1: yeah fair enough i mean they're, they're higher on mine but uh, i certainly think that uh you know we'll have to see uh hopefully they'll, they'll pick up the hitting uh come next season Or this season, the next season, whatever. Whatever,
0: yeah. Although I will say, I do love the rotation. Kubiak is is coming back. It's huge. And there's a couple other guys that are back that are really, really nice pieces. And I also like Taylor Wright a lot. I'm a really big Taylor Wright fan. But number eight, uh, the last New Jersey team here, which is the New Jersey Jackals, a B there. uh, Just straight up, they're stacked. They're just stacked. There is no weak spot here. Coaching staff is great. They have the bats they need, they have the pitchers they need, everything is great here. Their only drawback is they're in the Frontier League. As a result, they're not going to get the same level of competition as you'd get in, say, a Atlantic League. Even the American Association, I know we were told, ah, oh, you know, they're pretty comparable. But I look at the American Association League teams, and I have, what, four in a row? And a total of five on the list of teams I got here. And the Frontier League is just not as good as that, in my opinion. It's still a high-quality league, don't get me wrong, but it's just not quite the same there. So that does hold them back. However, uh, if they do what I think they're going to do, they'll rise quickly for me.
1: Uh, I agree with that. I think the Jackals are definitely loaded, uh, and they're going to be as good, if not better, than they were last year. 100%
0: there. So my last two teams in the ninth spot, I got Florence, that's a B-, and Milwaukee, also a B-. minus. Florence, again, high floor, low ceiling. That's why they're at the ninth spot. I like the roster. I see guys like Brizuela that we saw in uh, Sussex last year, Connor Crane, another guy I like, uh, Zach Spythy, I like him. There's a couple other guys that I really do think are potential boom players however i just don't see enough surefire boom players to put them up higher however potential alone being the best team i believe on their side of the frontier league would definitely boost them up higher than they otherwise would be in my opinion and then milwaukee uh, a team that was arguably the worst team in independent league baseball last year i believe in them this year they added a couple of really nice guys Uh, nelson ward a guy from that won a championship last year with the jackals David Washington, another guy. They had a couple others. I This is the kind of a hard spot to pick a 10 and 9 even. Time to put a couple other teams there. But all in all, I really do like the did with the roster, all in all. Right. So I, I put them there. And then just some honorable mentions I had. Uh, Southern Maryland, I like some of the offseason moves they made. Southern Illinois, again, I like them bringing in Craig Massey. I think he'll do very well coming back to Southern Illinois. Uh, Windy City, again, some rather nice pieces they added. Chicago and Washington in the Frontier and American Associations. I also liked some of the pieces they had there. I think they could definitely be some boom teams. Yeah, all of a sudden, I'll, and I, then I'll address the teams I left off after you give your top ten.
1: Okay, so I'll give my top ten... 10- so I'm just going to run through them. We don't need to discuss them too much, uh, but I'll just run through them and then I'll get my heat for them. Because as we know, my uh, prediction skills aren't always the best, but here we go. <laughs> so number one, I've got long Island. Uh, I think long Island is certainly was the best team last year. Like you said, they didn't make too many changes. So to me, I think they'll be the best team again this year. We'll see what happens.
0: So right, fair long Island, enough.
1: One, yep. Number two, high point for all the reasons you mentioned, they're just a phenomenal team. They really could be number one. Number two, ah, it's a, you know, flip a coin in my book, but High Point definitely going to be great. Sioux City, number three, 100% could not see uh, any. I could see Sioux City being one. You know, Sioux City, we talked about it on that show. They're just phenomenal. Four, I've got Claiborne. Okay. Really like like some of the moves they made. I think they made some really smart decisions. Uh, I think they did a great job. All right. Number five. Uh, Somerset, Somerset, they're a little bit higher, like I said, on my list, just because their rotation is so darn good. And if they could hit, I mean, even like a quarter of <laughs> a quarter better than, than they did last year, if they could just be a little bit better offensively, they'll be a dominant team. So I think Somerset is number five. I think they'll hit a little bit better and move up. Uh, number six, I've got Winnipeg. Uh, again, as you said, just a, a really, really strong team. I think just a really good team that uh, will continue to be good, added some good pieces, uh, really good offensively, really good bullpen. I think they're going to be very good. So number seven, I have this is my surprise. This one might come back to bite me. It bit me last year. Uh, Southern Maryland, I again really like what they did with the roster. I have my number seven. It's probably too high, I'm aware.
0: I mean, I'm to be fair, last year I was the one who fell for that because of Ruby Silf Company and I was like, Oh, they'll definitely they'll definitely make it. And then it was ah, they fell apart. But yeah, no, I, I definitely get why you fall for them. They're they're an alluring team.
1: They, they are, they're alluring, again, a lot of talent, uh, great manager. I mean, they're, they're alluring, uh, very good chance that they'll disappoint. But, um, you know, if it, if, it, if it happens, it happens. Maybe I'll be right for once. Number eight, I have your and our New Jersey Jackals uh, certainly, uh, the Jackals proved themselves last year to be up for the challenge again. I think they're, for me, there as you can see, there's a little bit of frontier bias, so I do have kind of a frontier-heavy back half of the top ten. Although I could see some of these teams moving forward uh, and catapulting to the top. Uh, so that's I have the Jackals great again stacked. Latos is coming back; they're going to be great. Uh, there's no if-ands or buts about it. Florence at number nine. Florence, again, like you said, B minus is a good grade for them. A good team, not a great team necessarily, but maybe has the ability to shock some people. Really, I think there's a lot of. Uh, interest and hype surrounding Florence in general. So I really think that they'll ride that wave of uh, that energy into success. And it's kind of as high point did uh, last season, really kind of trying to channel that energy uh, and that success of, you know, the excitement of the region. So maybe that's something we see. And then number 10, I have to go with my Sussex County Miners. They are certainly one of my favorite teams to watch play. And I think I have full, Full faith in Justin and Bobby Jones and all all those that are there in Sussex County to put together a team that will be in the top ten that will be good. And uh, I think it will be a real battle between them and New Jersey as to who uh, kind of takes out of the former Can-Am side of the the Frontier League who would take that, that side. And ultimately, I think that side would be the, the champion, either New Jersey or Sussex County. Hey, that right. is where I, I similarly do not have St. Paul on my on my list.
0: Okay, I'm gonna address those two in just one second here. Do you have any other there like extra teams that you toss into an other category? Maybe you had to cut them after a revision or something like that.
1: Um, you know Schaumburg, uh, a good team. I think the Boomers could be good. Uh, I also really, really. <laughs> Really wanted to add Sugarland. They did collapse a little bit toward the end of last year, but I do think Sugarland is always a good team. And, you know, to count them out can oftentimes get you in trouble. So uh, Sugarland could definitely be in there. Um, and there's a ton of teams that could definitely be in there. This is just my list off of what I had. and Really kind of just me going off of more familiarity with organizations i mean all all the ones i listed were teams i'm pretty familiar with we've talked about on the show in in, in, you know wide swaths i could miss a great team uh just because it's not in my my viewpoint right now
0: so yeah so i'm just going to address the sussex point because everything else we're pretty much within five of i mean you put southern maryland higher and like highland higher but everything else is within two yeah i don't see sussex at all i i hate to be that one because i do like sussex i i do like the job justin and company have done but man they lost a lot of pieces i mean most of that team is gone they dismantled it and i just i don't think they did enough to kind of come back from it i think washington is going to put up much more of a fight they have a lot of interesting guys on that washington team and so i would i'm more biased towards the towards having uh the Miners be farther down on the list there, but uh, time will tell on that front. No doubt. (laughs) So then I'm going to address the three teams I got complaints about here that only one of us really put in as any sort of note. First, Sugarland. I understand they did a lot. However, again, like you said, they collapsed last year for a part of their season. Obviously, they rebounded in the playoffs, and then they lost in the championship. But still, I don't trust them enough. I don't believe anyone really on that side of the Atlantic League is that good. I mean, Southern Maryland, yeah, to an extent, but I always drink their Kool-Aid, so maybe I'm wrong there. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) So that, that's my point there. I just, I, there's better teams there that have yet to disappoint me. And of course, if they do well, they'll rise high and they'll rise quickly, but I just, I can't justify putting it there.
1: Not yet. Yep. Not yet. I just mean, see a little bit more out of them. I think you're that, you're spot on with that one. I mean, uh, that's something that by you know three four weeks into the season can change. If they start out hot, then you got to go. Uh, you got to tip your cap. they did oh, yeah. a great job.
0: Yeah, they're they're one good month away from being in the top ten, and like a good six weeks away from being in the top five. I'll put it like that. Oh, easy, easy. Yep. Team two, go back. No, just no. <laughs> you were terrible last year, and I hate. To, I'm just gonna be blunt. You were awful last year you were fighting with Ottawa for the worst team in the league. It was a major drop-off from the year prior where, you know, you kind of got walked off to lose a championship, but it was a damn good walk-off, though. And, I'm, I'm sorry, you're just not that good for a top team in 2020 list. This isn't a top team of all time. If it was, yeah, you'd be in the top five. Hell, the top five would look an awful lot different in my, in my ranking, and I'm sure your ranking, too. But, It's about this year, and you haven't made any major gains. If anything, it got worse, and there's just an awful lot that's up in the air, and if we're being realistic, I shouldn't even have Winnipeg there because I shouldn't put any Canadian teams there because if there is a season, odds are the Canadian teams aren't going to be a part of it just because of border crossing. So for that alone, you shouldn't be there, but also you just don't have an impressive roster.
1: Right, the, the roster this year doesn't inspire any confidence. And uh, look, last year was bad. Like, let's not let's not sugarcoat it. Last year was bad, so they're going to need to. You know, again, I need to see. That's another one that could rise fast, but they would need to show me that they're for real and they have the talent. They just didn't have the talent last year. They just didn't have it. So I mean, we'll see what happens. Maybe they do this year. Time will tell.
0: And then the final team, St. Paul. I understand why St. Paul. Uh, Rapid fan base, great fan base. Major issue with your roster, though, it has 12 players on it. I can't put a roster that is comprised of 12 individuals, of which there is two outfielders, no catchers, six pitchers, and the rest infielders. I can't in good conscience do that, as right now you don't have a starting nine to field a team. (laughs) Right. So you you can't be ranked.
1: Right, not yet. That one, you know, clearly St. Paul will be there. Clearly, St. Paul will be good. It's just a matter of getting the guys onto the roster, so we can see that they will be good. And uh, you know, but look, St. Paul figure it out. They always do. I have no no qualms with St. Paul. Uh, I think they'll end up being on my list. But yes, yeah, similarly, I, I didn't I, when I was looking this up last night. I didn't see too many too many people, too many bodies on their roster. So I made the decision to leave them off uh, for now.
0: Exactly. I mean, you have guys like Nash and Miner and and others there that I really do like. And if you just had, like, two other really good players, and then, you know, another 10 to fill out your roster, then I could be all bored about ranking you. Hell, I'd probably put you in around the 9 spot. You'd probably have knocked Milwaukee out, or Florence out for me. But uh, yeah. when you just don't have enough bodies, I can't rank you. It's simple as that. Yep. All right. So then we'll just kind of go through the rapid-fire things here, do our plugs, and get out of here. Uh, this is a long episode. It's making up for last week's short episode, so... Uh, all is about equal after this. Yep. Uh, update on the Blue Crab's uh, food drive. I think the Blue Crab's won if there can be a winner in a food drive. Uh, I know there was over 5,000 food items donated between the two clubs. And that at last tally, the Blue Crab's had about 4,100 items donated. I don't know what high points last, last tally was. I assume it was more than like 900. So... Yeah, I'm going to call the Blue Crab's the winner, because why not? And good on them for getting that many food items.
1: Yep, great job to everyone involved on both teams, and just a great job, great way for these communities to really show out and uh, support there, to support everyone during these very difficult
0: times. Yep. Empire League note, I know this wasn't in the show notes I sent you. It popped up last minute, and I didn't think it was that important to send you the thing. It's basically... uh, I think, 80-second long video saying the Empire League will operate this year even if this means they must move all their operations to the state of Florida. Okay. <laughs> so, maybe there'll be
1: Empire League baseball in
0: Florida. <laughs> uh, I'll leave it at that. That's a that's a great ball of wax tackle next week. We'll put that oh, one yeah. on the dock for next week uh, with the little taster and seasoner and sampler of, I think that's a stupid idea. You're in Empire League, you play in New York, you want all your players to go from making plans to be in camp in Delaware to making plans to be in camp at one of the New York locations of these teams to now going to camp in Florida and playing a full season in Florida without really having everything totally figured out yet. So there's a lot of issues there. I hope we get more details about it because then I can have a better or we can have a better conversation about it. I because mean, as it stands right now, it just looks like it's going to be about ten minutes of ripping on the Empire League for a dumb plan. But I do applaud yeah. them for trying to get, you know, players in action and everything about that. The intentions it's in the creative. good place, but you know, it's creative. It might not work. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, it was obviously more nuanced than what I described there, but uh, that was the main gist of it. If you go to their IGTV uh, on the Empire League's uh, Instagram page, you can watch the whole video. It's just. He in plan. plan. Uh, last uh, last two things here. The Milwaukee Milkmen are going to use their ballpark as a drive-in theater when they're not playing home games. That starts next week. There's going to be like a 40-foot, I think it was, LED screen. They'll set out to be like the drive-ins of old. to play family-friendly movies. This will happen now when, obviously, there's not baseball being played. But also, if baseball does get played, it will happen when the Milkmen are not playing home home games. I do like it. I think it also plays kind of on their 1950s charm, which is what the whole kind of Milkman theme is about. So I definitely like this idea.
1: I like this idea. Smart. Seems like it won't have any impact on the field. Makes sense to me. And it's a great way to get people in the ballpark reminding them there is baseball that's going to be played there at some point. Also, really good for the teams just to be able to have uh, you know, something going on for the owners, have something going on, and you know, have some kind of revenue, some kind of money coming in. Uh, this is a very good way to do it. And I think more teams should uh, ultimately make this decision. It would probably be a very popular one.
0: Oh, absolutely. This is the kind of creative thinking you need at a time like this to keep your brand relevant and to hopefully generate some sort of income there. So I do like it. Last thing for the day, uh, the United Shore Professional Baseball League, the Utica League, or the one that plays at Jimmy John's Field, has four teams, same ballpark in Michigan. Now we all know what we're talking about. they I use the word expect, however, they would like to have a mid-June return or early July return and have fans in the ballpark at some point. They're going to put their players in dorms to keep them all kind of isolated. And they also have apparently a 216-page COVID plan that they passed on to the governor. The most important thing I got from them was that they are healthy enough to survive a year without baseball, which is good to see.
1: That's good. It's good to see. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, That last point is probably the most important thing there. Again, not seeing baseball being played by... Mid June, um, considering you know you can't still you you know in some states you still can't have two people in a boat more than two people in a boat. So I'm I'm not feeling that, but uh, we'll see what happens. Certainly possible. Uh, I won't say it's, anything's impossible at this point, but I don't think that that will necessarily happen uh, in the way that they want it to.
0: Exactly. I think it's not exactly a feasible plan. Uh, like you said, it's there's still a lot of restrictions going on. However, if there is a league to get it done. It's probably the league where you don't really need to travel to games. Everything's isolated or centralized to one location. And if you centralize the players to a couple of colleges using those dorms, which I really hope if you're going to use those dorms, that the former resident, aka the tuition-paying college students of those dorms, are at least able to get their stuff out first. Uh, that's probably something that people didn't really think through. Uh, everyone just kind of picked up and left, so there's still stuff in dorm rooms, by the way, for at a lot of universities. So you will know, have to clear that up, but that's not really that big of an issue. So if you centralize it to just really two locations, it's possible, it's feasible, but uh, again, I still think it's a bit of a long shot. So uh, that's yep. about all we have a little bit more on the Empire League next week. Uh, next week, we don't have an interview scheduled, but hopefully we can get something down. I've talked to a couple of people, so we can hopefully make that work. And uh, yeah, so we can go to the plugs. You can find us on Twitter at Indie Ball Pod, on Instagram at Indie Ball James and Indie Ball Report. You can also find us on our website, IndieBallReport.com. You'll find the podcasts, YouTube videos. You can also find the show notes and articles and graphic design projects and a whole lot of other stuff there. You can find our YouTube channel at Indie Ball Report Podcast on YouTube. And be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you find podcasts, which includes iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podomatic, the whole deal. That said, do we have anything else left to add? Nope, just the usual. Uh, everyone stay
1: safe. Uh, thank you to everyone who's out there helping uh first responders everybody uh, on the front lines thank you for doing what you do to keep everybody safe and we'll see you next week
0: yep echo that uh and so thank you people this week i'm just going to congratulate all the college seniors that are graduating as well as any of the high school seniors that are going to be graduating soon i know last week i made note that my co-host had graduated although i cut that for whatever reason don't really know why i did that just kind of did uh so congrats to him sorry i cut that
1: that's all good thank you very much and uh you're getting there you'll be good to go yourself in a few so
0: yeah tomorrow tomorrow Uh,
1: yep so congratulations to you on that as
0: well Yep. thank you and so with that uh i don't got anything else left to add i don't think you got anything else left to add and uh yeah until next time don't forget to play ball